and yeah. welcome to the Cage Fight Podcast. Uh, yeah. Which is uh, all remote this time over Zoom. Yeah, we uh, we all have COVID and rabies. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, we're avoiding Jess's house because it is more dangerous than the house from Resident Evil 7, I believe. Mm. Yeah, Dangerous we house. Don't have COVID, but there's been something going around here, and I don't want to spread it to uh, my my co-hosts. I got everyone sick. It was an immaculate infection. <clears throat> well, I'll tell you this for nothing. I think I have uh, lice from... I've watched uh, Godzilla vs. Kong now twice in the last 24 hours, and that filthy ape did me fucking dirty. <laughs> I don't have any sicknesses, but I do have uh, this thing swam up my pee hole. I was recently in the Amazon uh, rainforest. <laughs> Actually, the only Amazon that uh, lets you pee. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm always down uh, with the sickness, so. Well, uh, as always, yeah. I'm Jess. I am Mike. Ooh. This is Taylor. And we have a very special guest today joining us all the way from Ohio. What? Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? It's your boy, B-O-I, emphasis on by Alex Worldwide Keller, former professional wrestler, current online home fitness empresario, podcaster, board to life. Uh, that's board number two life, board to life pod at Twitter.com, all that shit. Uh, nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming on. <clears throat> that was the best intro probably ever. Uh, <laughs> honestly, thanks for coming on and thanks for coming out as well. We appreciate it. Um, is there, uh, are there any of the Oh, wait, AEW? I do have an OnlyFans to plug, I guess. I mean, oh, shit. yes. Oh, shit. <laughs> CD Kelly, baby. All right. Hell yes. And just oh, oh, oh. one minute while I look that up. Um, <laughs> and I are, there, are, are there any AEW guys you think you could uh, take uh, without question? Um, I mean, I have wrestled uh, Orange Cassidy before. I chopped him real hard. Oh, nice. Yeah, he sold it real big. Um, It was such a good match that they didn't tape it. It only went to audio tape. I believe there's (laughs) an audio cassette release of it. (laughs) Oh, I love... uh, Actually, audio wrestling is... uh, I'm a big collector (laughs) of audio wrestling. Well, the LVAC, LVAC, check them out at the Lehigh Valley. <laughs> can you get I, that on? Can you get that on Audible or whatever? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, I, I forgot to mention. Uh, Dave is always is up uh, on the boards. He's here in the place with me. Oh, oh. hell no! Nah. What's up, dog? Yep, that's. Uh, and I was, I was gonna ask Alex as well. There, I was going on Cameo the other day, and I found a cameo from a wrestler by the name of Nick Cage. Are you familiar with them? Mm-hmm. Nick Gage, yes. I actually, uh, when I was rich as fuck on uh, the pandemic unemployment assistance, shouts out to that. Easier to get under Trump than it is under Biden. I'm saying that for nothing right now. Lots more means <laughs> testing now. Um, but yeah, I ordered one because it's only 25 bucks for my uh, ex-tag team partner that I live with. And I had Nick Gage. Uh, I mean, I guess they have a sort of similar life trajectory when you think about it uh, there, there's a rise and a fall and then a leveling out <laughs> but yeah we had him uh, congratulate weird body on becoming rich and also had him uh set old evan ambrose straight once and forever on an argument that uh red yoshis are not born red they are born white and they bathe in the blood of their enemies and if you see a white yoshi that's a coward it's a fucking coward and um 
<laughs> I can attest to that. That's accurate. Yes. Uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, I know Nick Gage. I've uh, partied in this very living room with Nick Gage. Oh, shit. oh hell. yeah. I, oh, uh, shit. Well, I, I just kind of assumed you thought this was a Nick Gage podcast, which is why you came on. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, I have something that might blow this whole thing wide fucking open. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. I was telling- exclusive. Basically, it's this. It's Cage Reeves theory. It's uh, that you could take Nicolas Cage and Keanu Reeves and swap them for any of their roles ever. And it would be different, but it would still work. Hmm. Okay. I, I could subscribe well, to Nicolas that theory. Cage, why not? Here's a problem, though. I don't imagine Keanu Reeves being able to pull off the insane performance in like Deadfall or something. Uh, see, I'd have to see Deadfall, but I will say, yeah, he probably could. Because really, there's like a few keys to this. One is Johnny Mnemonic. I want room service. That's fucking Nicolas Cage could beat the shit out of that. Yes, that's. Uh... Yeah, that's. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, I would love and... to see Nicolas Cage and Bill and Ted. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what he did in fucking uh, Fast Times or Ridgemont Goddamn High. And then you take Nicolas Cage, put him in the Matrix, picture him being like, uh, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> I'm the chosen one. You know, I, I'm I into it. Say, I will say I'd love to see Keanu Reeves in Fast Times. Uh, they, they play very similar performances. Nicolas Cage in River's Edge, come the fuck on. Oh, hell yeah. Let's <laughs> I want to see uh, Nicolas Cage in my own private Idaho. That'd be an interesting one. <laughs> Nicolas Cage in Constantine. That's a hell yeah. He'd be blonde, American, oh, yeah. still smoking very, cigarettes, very ripping cool. heaters. Fucking hell yeah. Uh, goddamn uh, Nicolas Cage and Thumbsucker. I don't give a shit. Whatever. Fuck yourself. You know, this is giving me an idea, Jessica. We might need a Keanu Reeves bracket at some point. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm actually down for that. I think that would be good. Yeah, Keanu Reeves has had uh, just as many rises and falls in his career. He's on his, like, fourth comeback now. Uh, (laughs) So that's that's not a a bad comparison. Well, is is he on his fall now because fucking Cyberpunk 27.7 fucking sucks shit? I I don't think that's his fault. I think that's uh, from video game people sucking. That's Uh. true. We're talking about gamers. We're not talking about game developers. So no, both. I would say both. Oh, okay, fair <laughs> enough. That's totally fair. Game developers are gamers, and they're probably the sweatiest ones. So true. Very true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, so uh, what we're actually here today to talk about <laughs> is um, bringing out the dead and dog eat dog. These uh, these are two movies that are interestingly interconnected in a very specific way that I'll get into uh, eventually. Yeah, this is definitely uh, an intentional matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, this was very planned by us uh, very well. Exactly. Ah, the first movie we're going to talk about today is Bringing Out the Dead. So this came out in the year 1999. Uh, directed by Martin Scorsese, who is probably best known for his films uh, Boxcar Bertha, After Hours, and The Last Waltz. And, and not, I, I would say The King of really Comedy, knows. too. Um, the Last Waltz is actually uh, one of my favorite Christoph Waltz performances. Yes. Um, no, but for real, I mean, like, you probably know Martin Scorsese if you listen to a movie podcast. We don't need to get too If you've into heard of movies, uh, <laughs> you've heard of Martin Scorsese. This was written by Paul Schrader, who also worked with Scorsese to write the films Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. And did he write or direct any other films? Oh, boy, did he ever. Dying of the Light, first of all. 
Okay, yeah. And most importantly, is which is a movie that we have watched that I don't remember. Uh, I, I remember it, and it's really bad. Wait, was <laughs> that really him? Did I miss Yeah, that, that? was Paul Schrader's yeah. directed movie, and he completely disavowed it because the studio, like, edited it without his, like, fucking permission. And somehow yeah. he still got to make uh, First Reformed, which everybody's confused by. Yeah, I guess, I don't know, you see like 70 movies for this podcast and it kind of blends who's written by who, who's directed by who. I don't remember them all, but I, I, can, I can distinctly remember every movie I've watched for this podcast, which is pretty fucking weird. I can remember well, also, the movie. Uh, I can't remember every oh, the piece of the yeah, crew yeah, sure. that's attached to it. But no, for sure. For he sure. directed a movie uh, called uh, Doggy Dog, Doggy Dog. Yeah, doggy, yeah, doggy dog. dog. Yes, the Snoop Doggy Dog music video, which right? uh, I yeah. believe yeah. we'll have something to say about later in this. Uh, <laughs> I think so. I think he wrote the film uh, Dog uh, Dog Day Afternoon. Yeah, uh, and he was the he played the dog in A Dog's Purpose. Yeah, <laughs> I believe he was dog, also why does the smell uh, moldy banana bread around here. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, Dave. Thanks. But yeah, this is also based off a book written by Joe Connolly, and uh, production companies were uh, paramount touchstone scott rudin productions produced by barbara defina and scott rudin you might have guessed from the scott rudin productions runtime of 121 minutes a budget of 32 million dollars and uh yeah. do do any of you want to try and guess if this movie made its budget back or not uh i'm gonna guess this movie was in the red really i'm saying it made 34 million at the box office 34 okay I'm going to go 30 clean. 30 clean. So I'm, I'm going to go 12 million then. Number. Okay. I don't think this movie made a lot of money. How did you do on DVD though? That's a question. Yeah. Taylor is closest. It made 16.8 million at the box office. Ooh, um, shit. I don't yeah. have figures for DVD sales or anything like that, but this is a surprisingly low grossing movie for being a Scorsese movie with uh, Nicolas Cage. This is like the last in his string of huge 90s successes. So, well, like, I mean, you, um, he was definitely the... still in Superman shape for this movie because his abs were popping. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that movie was in like was shooting like pre-production in 99, wasn't it? The same year this movie came out. I never watched the documentary. Maybe. I don't know. I've only seen that one hilarious photo. It's, mm. it's a pretty funny photo. His hair rocks. Wow. Hell yeah. Um, his hair and makeup in this fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The the more like strung out he gets, the more incredible oh, for he sure. looks. It looks great for sure. Yeah, with those like super dark circles around his eyes. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's oh, eye makeup fun. goals right there. Hell yeah. yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I've uh, I've had those eyes before when I was working fucking graveyard shift during funeral service, let me tell you, picking up bodies at night. I I had fucking circles under mm -hmm. my eyes like that. Is it insensitive to still call it graveyard shift when you're doing funeral uh, services? <laughs> Not necessarily, because you will put them in a graveyard eventually. That's that's okay. That's true. Well, and isn't every shift a graveyard shift then, or um, unless it's just a cremation shift? Then maybe. I mean, really, you could die during any shift at any job, so that's that's a graveyard shift. Yeah, I would. I'd rather die than work a minute for the man. So that's true. I mean, 100. you make your entire income from this podcast. So exactly. I mean. Six dollars a month, split <laughs> four ways. <laughs> so on Rotten Tomatoes, this got a seventy-two percent from critics, a seventy percent from audiences. So about equal on both fronts. And yeah, that's pretty much all I have for general information. If Mike would like to do some trivia for us, 
word. I know you said you didn't have the uh, numbers on DVD sales for this, but do you possibly have the numbers for Laserdisc sales? Uh, because this was the final film released on Laserdisc. So in case fucking... everybody was like, oh shit, I got to, this is the last one. Uh, and I got to, I'm not getting rid of my Laserdisc player. Um, that might've had a, a nice pop there at Circuit City or whatever. Yeah. Uh, in 99. <laughs> Nicolas Cage and Patricia Arquette were uh, married at the time of filming this. Uh, <laughs> they divorce uh, two years after. So everyone in the reviews who is like calling their romance stale, uh, I guess he called it. <laughs> um, uh, every night during filming, Nicolas Cage would average going through 10 shirts because of a combination of blood, sweat, and mud, and probably cum and piss <laughs> as well. Um, yeah, probably a bit of cum and piss. The only uh, Scorsese movie that came out in the 90s that did not get an Oscar nomination. Oh really? my God! Really? Yeah. Uh, no noms. Well, I guess ninety nine was a competitive year, but yeah, it really yeah, was. that's true. I mean, ninety nine uh, is no ninety five though. You know, they they probably yeah, lost to uh, <laughs> Nicholas Cage's The Matrix uh, that came out that year. <laughs> yes, I believe so. Um, this was uh, shot over a period of sixty five days, and uh, I have another thing for the list of shit that Nicholas Cage has done to prepare for a role. Him and Marty. Uh, rode along with real uh, New York paramedics uh, in preparation for filming. And they probably also uh, lost a few lives. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that's that's all I got for trivia. Uh, Nicolas Cage has murdered again. Yeah. Sure. Well, uh, yeah, he murdered since then on the set of Joe, as we found out. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah, well, yeah, he said he, he picked the role because he has murdered before. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah. Uh, well, no, I'm, that movie is very dark. I would not recommend in person. He, he basically said that Joe is uh, the closest he's ever been to just playing himself in a character. And that dude is like uh, uh, kills people, uh, hires prostitutes repeatedly. And uh, he's a vagrant who poisons trees and <laughs> hooks up with strippers. Yeah. Yes. And, and also six his dog and other dogs, too. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's some dog eat dog shit. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> I mean, we this movie did come out come out after Joe, didn't it? I think Joe was like 2013 or something. Yeah, this is or no, no. Uh, dog eat dog is post Joe. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. That, that's not. what I meant. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I guess I might as well move on to a plot summary here. And this is a little bit of a long one because this movie doesn't have so much of a, a single plot as it does a lot. Very of, episodic. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of interconnected scenes to it. Uh, it takes place in New York City in the early 90s. Nicolas Cage is an EMT and uh, it kind of just follows him through like three or four consecutive nights on the job. This night he's uh, working with John Goodman as, as his partner. John Goodman's great in this. Oh, yeah. Yes. John Goodman is one of my favorite actors, and this this uh, side-by-side was beautiful. Oh, yeah. This is the second time they've appeared together, too, that we've seen, yes. at least, because uh, they were together in uh, Arizona also. Yes. Or Raising oh, true, Arizona. Yeah. Yes. So Nicolas Cage apparently hasn't saved anyone in months, and he's he's grown to hate this job. He wants to get fired because he feels he can't quit himself. Someone called that living in bad faith. Embrace your freedom. <laughs> they get called in for a guy on the top floor of an apartment complex who's recently stopped breathing. 
and uh, Cage manages to get his heart beating again with some CPR and uh, some Sinatra on the stereo. Which, which is a pretty impressive because his chest compressions are fucking dog shit in this scene. He's not doing a very good job. Called <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah, I will say the um, the breaths were pretty good with the um, with the machine there, but yeah, his chest compressions were fucking terrible. He was not doing two inch like two inch compressions. Well, he didn't have the oomph that John Goodman could like fucking really put down. John Goodman I mean, had some weight. I'll to just put say down. I'm like half of John Goodman's weight, and I could put down that much pressure. I've done it before. Okay. I'm Martin Scorsese to uh, throw on some Sinatra when you're fucking doing chest compressions on a motherfucker. Yeah. Exactly. Very true. I mean, there's definitely a bunch of uh, Scorsese musical touch tones in this movie. You got the goddamn fucking Rolling Stones, fucking weird bluesy shit. Oh, yeah. Uh, his weird misunderstanding of punk that like continues forever. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. I mean, I will say I understand why they probably didn't do proper CPR because they probably didn't want to break that fucking actors like sternum but oh well mm. it's 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 method acting you have to break your sternum if you're going to get cpr well you know that's uh, yeah. the thing uh fucking all the emts were on icq in 1999 and they're like he ain't going two inches on this thing fucking <laughs> fuck this movie <laughs> nicholas cage actually uh shattered his own sternum uh in preparation for this role uh, no, I was like, I was like, listen, if he was in like a fucking CPR class, the instructor would be like, Nick Cage, you need to try a little harder, go deeper. <laughs> and and not in a sexual context for once. Uh-huh. Yeah, he doesn't hear that often. Nicholas Cage hits the poppers and just imagines a whole other world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Go deeper. Well, the hospital is completely backed up and bringing in another patient is more of an inconvenience than anything else when, uh, Cage and Goodman arrive there. Which is the case at every hospital and clinic ever. So if I see a patient, I'm like, this is inconvenient, even if the clinic's completely empty. Okay, so it's so it's never let my employers hear that, by the way. <laughs> yeah! I'll plug this at work. Yeah. <laughs> uh so when Cage leaves the patient there, uh he sees the patient's daughter, uh named Mary, who is played by Patricia Arquette. And uh she's like seems to be very like sad and kind of kind-hearted and caring to the people around her uh she gives water to a hallucinating man named noel who's going to be a repeating character uh played Played by by mark anthony yeah yeah that fucking snuck up on me (laughs) i did not realize that until i read the cast list like halfway through when i was trying to figure out who was playing the the crazy paramedic Um, i was like oh yeah oh fucking uh what's his name tom sizemore oh yeah tom sizemore but yeah, and then I saw From, Mark uh, Anthony oh, in there. Paulie like, Shore is dead. Fuck? Or what? Oh, God, Paulie Shore is dead. Uh, Jess's favorite movie she's watched for the podcast. <laughs> I Yeah, I, I I didn't like that one very much. Yeah. But <laughs> Well, to be fair, you said the crazy I'm paramedic. Dead. There's several crazy paramedics in this movie. That's true. Virtually all of them are, actually. But I, I meant the one who stands out is particularly unhinged. <laughs> Well, I don't know. The, the, the black guy's pretty unhinged, too. We'll get to him eventually. Yeah, Ving Rhames having hair was unhinged. Yeah, that I agree. That alone yeah. is pretty unhinged. Definitely need some uh, fucking HR or something on some of those uh, fucking walkie-talkie conversations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, after uh, Mark Anthony gets his water, he breaks away from the hospital and just runs off into the night. We also see that Cage keeps seeing the face of Rose like a... How old was she? A 17-year-old girl? 18. That he yeah, I 18? think she was 18, yeah. Mm. 
And uh, he sees that as like a serious failure, uh, having lost her. And he's kind of like haunted by that and sees that on the face of everyone he sees pass him in the street. Uh, he's also having a lot of trouble sleeping because he's so haunted by all these uh, faces of people who have died. Yeah, basically Nick Cage is suffering from like severe PTSD, survivor's guilt and hallucinations probably brought on by his chronic insomnia. So he's experiencing a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Mm. Later in the night... Uh, as they try to rest a little, they're called in for a suicidal man, and it turns out to have been uh, Mark Anthony, who is only talked down when Cage promises that he'll kill him at the hospital, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was great. Yeah, that's yes. a great scene. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite lines was like, if you don't shut up right now, I won't kill you. Um, <laughs> 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 Another ambulance uh, with a guy named Tom, played by Tom Sizemore, arrives for backup uh, to help with the suicidal man. And uh, he says that last week the guy had been holding up two priests uh, like hostage with a screwdriver. And he just like just starts beating the shit out of uh, Mark Anthony in the back of this ambulance. I mean, what a difference four years makes. Mark Anthony was in the Secret Service in uh, Hackers in 1995. Greatest year ever in American cinema. And now he's fallen so low in 1999. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, that's the thing, right? I understand why that uh, uh, Tom wanted to beat up Mark Anthony in this movie, because he dared to challenge Augustus for the throne of Rome. No, yes, <laughs> that's true. Or Octavian at the time. But... Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I don't recognize any of this from uh, Gladiator, my only knowledge of ancient Rome. So, um, <laughs> right over my head. Yeah, all I know about ancient Rome is that Joaquin Phoenix had a hog, so. I didn't forgive him until, like, fucking two years ago for the shit that he pulled on Russell Crowe and Gladiator. <laughs> no one was looking. Ref's back was turned. Stabbed him in the fucking kidney. Bullshit. Yeah. Terrible. I mean, come on. Yeah, we, we know better than Commodus. He was a very honorable man. Read every <laughs> Hanks would have never done that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Tom Hanks playing Commodus and Gladiator. That would have been a train wreck. But... <laughs> what about Chet Hanks? <laughs> like, yes Chet Hanks, we need, okay we need to get chet hanks in more leading roles let's talk well, about it you know fun fact if you got 200 dollars to spare he's only 200 dollars on cameo oh shit he's in uh one of my favorite movies from 2007 uh called brats so i'd like to see what he's up to now <laughs> he's in every dream i've had in 2021 so I mean, <laughs> oh that's true that's a much more monumental production if you think about it i produce a lot of things during those dreams so I can see him in a remake of uh, Ralph Bakshi's uh, Heavy Traffic. That's what I'm thinking right now. I've never I'd seen watch that. him in anything. Yeah. The only uh, Ralph Bakshi movies I've seen are The the Hobbit. I've seen The Hobbit, and that's pretty much it. And well, then, The uh, Hobbit isn't uh, Bakshi. Uh, Bakshi did uh, fucking, what the hell is it? Lord of the Rings Part 1. Oh, shit. I thought oh, he did shit, The Hobbit, you're right. too. Yeah, that, that's it. That's what I've seen. Oh, him. okay. That yeah, and right. uh, Wizards. Wizards is the shit. About it? Wizards is a cool fucking movie. I, I wish uh, it was more Shameless well plug time. Uh, Board to Life. We did a live watch along of uh, Wizards oh, hell with yeah. uh, Dr. Tim Bones Jones. And uh, it's a whole goddamn thing. But yeah. I'm going to have to check that out. Um, yeah. So they get called out to pick up a lot of different people. And each time he stops at the hospital that night, Cage finds himself talking to Arquette Moore. And he even gives her mother a ride home in the ambulance. At his next shift, Cage's boss tells him that he's been late to nine out of his last 12 shifts and he's been ordered to fire Cage. 
And he said he refused to do it because he's never fired anyone and he's not going to. And uh, Cage gets pissed at this and demands he be fired. But his boss says, I'll, I'll do it tomorrow. Like, OK. <laughs> and I, I know obviously this is a movie, but working in healthcare for the last several, like last four years now, there's been a lot of firings at those jobs, very justifiably. And Nick Cage should have gotten fired a long ass time ago. <laughs> I mean, they seem very busy. It was the early 90s in New York City. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Rudy Giuliani hadn't came to clean up the fucking slums of that city yet. Get all those goth kids out of the clubs. Yeah. Get into the fucking coffee shops behind the fucking counter. Yeah, get, Tom, fucking... get Thomas Middleditch out of those goth clubs and onto the streets. <laughs> Hanging out with his buddy, I.B. Banging. Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll, we'll get to Ivy banging later. <laughs> Hell yeah, very soon actually. Because <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. so this time uh, Nicholas Cage is out with Ving Rhames because Goodman called in sick, and uh, they go to a heroin overdose at a rave. Slight digression here: is the vial because there's like a new drug that's out in this world? Red is that death. just fentanyl? Red death. Uh, they said it was heroin mixed with like some amino acids or something that yeah uh, kickstart it, make it more potent. I mean, not not in the same compound, but that's I mean, I don't know. There's some similarities of fentanyl I can think of because it doesn't take that much fentanyl to fucking overdose. That's mm. what got Lil Peep started on fentanyl, actually. So, yeah, he watched this movie. <laughs> yes, I guess it's a good thing. The grosses were down on this thing then. <laughs> yeah, nobody saw it. Uh, so uh, everybody but Lil Peep pretty much got out safe. <laughs> that's good. Okay. <laughs> Uh, so th the guy who's overdosed is named Ivy Bangin uh, because they don't actually know his name. Uh, yeah. Frederick, I think. Oh, Frederick. Yeah, I think that's what the yeah, girlfriend was yeah. like. His name is Frederick. Uh, yeah. And uh, Cage brings him back with a, a Narcan injection while Ving Rhames like puts on a show. Yeah, he goes full televangelist. Yeah, just televangelist, and it's like, in the name of Jesus, if you embrace yourself, you will rise up. And just then the Narcan fully kicks in and the kid rises up. You know, that that scene was ridiculous, uh, but it was extremely entertaining. I thought that was one of the best scenes in the movie, to be honest. It was really funny. Uh, I, um, and, I you like know, I've, I've, I've seen somebody come back from overdosing on Narcan, and it's really like they're just out. And then like two seconds later, they're coming up. It's fucking mm. it's fucking nuts. Yeah, it's it, not fun. No, it doesn't look like it's fun, but it is like like miraculous almost because I, I, I've i seen somebody and they were like blue. They were like like on the fucking verge of death. Narcan came out just like the color came back. They fucking jolt like jolted up and it's like, holy Jesus Christ. That's what this actually looks like. <laughs> yeah, I was working security at a bar once and some girl I kind of knew like OD'd either off some bad coke or just some heroin because her fucking boyfriend had just died from heroin. Oh, uh, and uh yeah, once she like came to fucking off the Narcan when the fucking EMTs showed up, she was just like ready to fight everyone. It was insane. It was very annoying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the hospital, uh, they find out that Arquette's father is finally showing some minor signs of improvement, which I think is just like his eyes move now. But Arquette has left. So Cage goes to tell her personally at her apartment. And then Cage and Rames give her a ride back to the hospital. She and Cage talk a bit more in the back of the ambulance, and they have some pizza together in the in the lobby, just chatting up, a, finding out a more good about each other. New York slice. Mm-hmm. And uh, afterwards, Cage and Rames are called to a squat in an abandoned warehouse, where a woman is giving birth to twins, 
and the man with her is insistent that she cannot be pregnant because they are virgins. <laughs> and twins! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of the babies seems to not make it. Um, and that's the one that Nick delivered. <laughs> yep, that's the one. Well, that and, and to be fair, I mean, it was, you know, outside of a hospital and it was a breech birth. And those are, like, dangerous under even, like, supervision at a fucking hospital, let alone without any kind of like actual medical supervision besides a paramedic, like that baby probably won't survive. Like, so he shouldn't beat dangerous. himself up too bad. No, he really shouldn't. Yeah. That was just, that was honestly just bad luck on his end to have a fucking breech birth in a, a fucking abandoned building. Like that's nightmare shit. And then had to carry a woman in labor down several flights of steps in a warehouse. Yeah. That's it's just like, like that um, alone could give somebody PTSD, let alone all the other shit he sees on his shift on a fucking nightly basis. On the way out from the hospital onto their next call, uh, the two of them start drinking a bit and uh, Ving Rames just speeds with vigor to the next job because he's like has a thing for the dispatcher. Um, <laughs> just repeatedly sexually harasses that woman, I guess. But it was the early '90s, Jess. That was considered socially acceptable back then. Yeah, that's oh, yeah. Uh, that's OG horny on Maine right there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. those those are the original Discord servers. EMT <laughs> dispatches. In the '90s, you could just kiss a coworker on the mouth if you wanted to, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah also like in uh, Firebirds. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Family Feud and shit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh god and yeah. if it's your uh, if it's your daughter you can slip her the tongue so mm. true true yeah but yeah so ving rames just speeds off to the next job and in the process just flips the ambulance over onto its side and uh, they're both all right but cage steps out of the wreck and walks away saying he's quitting which i thought meant he was quitting the job and the rest of the movie he wasn't going to be a paramedic anymore and some of them would bring him back but i Maybe he just meant he's done for the night and he's going home. Probably either or, really. I think he meant he's quitting. Uh, oh. He's quitting nicotine gum. I think. Oh, yeah. I, I think. I think he was challenging Michael Douglas's character and falling down. I was like, "I'm going home." <laughs> and then he just commits several hate crimes. <laughs> uh, so the next day, Cage bumps into Arquette out and about throughout the town, and she asks him to go with her to an apartment complex where she doesn't feel fully safe. Uh, Cage waits outside and uh, after a while goes in to find a place called the Oasis and the lead guy there, Cy, uh, gives out like some unspecified pills to people who need to relax. Uh, yeah, I thought the main guy at Oasis was uh, Noel Gallagher. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> he uh, there, there was a big ah. feud um, <laughs> with his brother. Yeah, that's Liam you saw. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, I, I think at one point he was uh, he was leaving the apartment. He's like, don't look back in anger. No, no. <laughs> I mean, there were some wonderful walls in that place. It was very well decorated. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Very. Vibe. They didn't have a Godzilla shower curtain, but not everyone does. You know. <laughs> I mean, the, the hallway was so long. It was like a long and winding road. So, I mean, that's and that's, like that. We don't know any more Oasis songs. That, that's a Beatles. Song. You know what? <laughs> Hey, listen, I've, I've listened to all of Be There Now or whatever the fuck that album was, the bad one that everyone hates. So My favorite Oasis song is uh, Yesterday, All My Troubles Were So Far Away, etc. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. My, my favorite Oasis song was the one that goes woohoo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, song number uh, 420. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they have an NFT of that now. Yes. <laughs> oh, God. 
so Arquette is in a deep sleep in the back after taking some of the pills that uh, Sai gives out. And uh, Cage is convinced to take one of them and seems to sleep until he has a vision of losing that girl Rose again. And he just flips out screaming. He hauls Arquette out of there, walks home with her and falls asleep on her couch. That was a beautiful Nick Cage freak out and like very well executed. I have to say. Yeah, for sure. It Absolutely. Just waking is, up roaring. Yeah. Is, is that the one where he hallucinates Rose again and then he like wakes up in a terror? No, yeah, he has the whole dream where uh, fucking, you know, people are like, he's like pulling people up out of the street, like oh, ghosts yeah, of people. One. And then they had like a weirdly, like strangely sort of like hopeful part because then some of those people went on to like carry other people up out, like people that he helped out would then help other people out, that sort of thing. And I was like, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah. But um, the, uh, the hallucination where he uh, like remembers when he saved Rose um, apparently was like, all, all the actors acted in reverse and then the oh, yeah. film was reversed. You could um, kind of see that because the snow was moving upwards in the scene. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, they did, the, they did that to uh, achieve the dreamlike effect of the hallucination. Huh. That is crazy, though, the amount of effort that goes into that. I, I can't even imagine trying to act out a scene backwards. But oh, yeah. I guess when you're a filmmaker, you know, you make films. It's weird. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, so the next day at the start of his shift, Cage visits Arquette's dad and uh, hears his voice begging not to be resuscitated, though Arquette's dad actually has a breathing tube in and can't talk. So we don't know if this is like psychosis or if there's like some supernatural thing going on here, but uh, it's probably psychosis because uh, Nick Cage. I'd like, say uh, psychosis. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say psychosis, too, because he's like not sleeping at all. Plus, he's got the PTSD and various other fucking things are going on with them. It's, it's not good. Yeah. Hell of a cocktail. Um, out in the ambulance, this time he's paired with uh, Tom Sizemore, the the crazy guy who beat Mark Anthony before. And uh, this guy apparently used to be his old partner uh, in the ambulance, like regular partner. Before. But the vibes were wrong. <laughs> yeah, vibes were all off. In the back, Cage injects himself with like glucose and adrenaline, I think they said. And, and like then, B2 or B12, whatever the fuck. It's basically just, it's pre-workout and cocaine. Together. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, like, Nick Cage, why are you injecting yourself with B12? He's like, shut up, I'll tell them I have Crohn's or something, shit. <laughs> but yeah, and then uh, he gets some coffee and he achieves some sort of like uppers nirvana. And it's just like working hyper time to get as many people as possible saved. Uh, one of their calls is to the Oasis, where Cage just was the other night. There's been like a shooting there. One woman is shot dead. The place is just ransacked. And uh, Sai threw himself off the balcony and impaled himself on a railing two stories below, but is still alive. That shit was wild. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fucking wild. Cage like supports Sai uh, while the cops cut the railing. And uh, Sai talks about how he's had a little bit of time to think about his life. And uh, I don't know. It was, it was an interesting little speech. And I feel like I need to watch it again to, to fully get all of it. You have a lot of time to reflect when you're impaled on a fence. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, eventually the shock takes over and he's just having a good ass time with all those sparks flying out over the skyline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think. Uh, it zooms out and it starts as sparks and they turn into fireworks eventually. <laughs> He's saying, like, look at it. It's They're beautiful. like sharing a hallucination. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a very folly adieu type moment. 
Back at the hospital, our cat is there and apologizes for what happened between her and Cage last night, where she, you know, had him help her and everything uh, out of the Oasis and stuff. Uh, he gives her a kiss on the cheek and says, they're all dying. Is And I think he means like everybody in the city, including him and her. And then he goes off on his next call. And uh, he is just amped the fuck up. And he's with crazy guy Tom Sizemore. Uh, Cage says they should get into a fight just so they have something to do. And uh, yeah, Tom, Tom is sizing up a motherfucker to get into a fight. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they uh, they decided they should either fight or have a, a weirdly aggressive slow dance at the end of a pier. Oh, yeah, that's the other way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And then like shoot a pistol <laughs> off of a speedboat. <laughs> Was Judge Reinhold in this movie? We just never saw him. Was there like a cameo Judge Reinhold we weren't familiar with? Yeah, he, so. he's in a hospital bed in the back somewhere. I don't know. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Uh, but Sizemore pulls up on Mark Anthony, who he just really has it out for. He hates this guy uh, and believes that the world would be better off without him. He's just not into salsa music. Yeah, <laughs> He's like, why'd you marry that fucking ugly bitch, J-Lo, you know? <laughs> he's a big Ricky Martin fan. <laughs> <laughs> Cage is really hesitant when he sees this, and uh, he tips off Anthony that um, that Sizemore is coming, and Anthony just retreats into a basement in this building. Um, well, and that's the thing. In in this scene, um, Tom Sizemore wants Nick Cage to like sort of like uh, distract him a little bit by like so that he can shove him there. over him, do like the fucking dosido, whatever the fuck. Yeah, yeah, and they're like breaking car windows and stuff. And that's the thing is that Nick Cage in this movie, he is one step closer to the edge, and he's wanting to break stuff. Oh yeah. <laughs> hey, ninety nine. It was the time for that. Oh yeah, yeah, it was. Do you think they screened this movie at Woodstock ninety nine? Yeah. They fucking. No, no, I think this movie came out in late 99, unfortunately. Ah, shit. Mm. So all the uh, sexual assault survivors went to go see this movie. Oh, yeah. Uh, Sizemore follows Anthony down into the basement and starts beating him with a bat until Cage shoves him off and, like, screams at Sizemore and just saves Noel, uh, Mark Anthony. And he personally gives him mouth to mouth, which I thought was significant because he said earlier in the movie that he had only done that to a baby and never to anyone else before. So and other EMTs were discussing not doing mouth to mouth as well. If Taylor wants to uh, come in on that one. Oh, yeah. yeah in, in all honesty, mouth to mouth isn't nearly as effective as the actual breathing apparatus you can use. Um, and as well, it, it does kind of, you know, um, make it more likely to spread diseases, especially in the age of COVID. But if you got nothing else, it's it's better than nothing. Although I will say that um, compressions are more important than breaths in CPR, anyways. Hmm. So, well, hey, J Lo liked uh, giving him mouth to mouth for a while, so yeah. that's something. <laughs> uh, yeah, if you're gonna give anyone mouth to mouth, I mean, he he's pretty good looking at this point still. That's uh, true. Back at the hospital, Cage goes over to Arquette's father, who again telepathically asks to be let go, and uh, Cage connects the heart monitors to himself breathes into the breathing tube and slowly lets him die without setting off any of the monitors. And uh, when he hooks it all back up, everything goes off suddenly and the doc comes in and just pronounces him dead. And you know what? I, I want to add something. So the, the nurse in that scene who responds to the flatline there, that was Carla from Scrubs. That was the was cameo that? I wanted to yeah, that was Carla from Scrubs. I, yeah. I know she looked oh, wait, very familiar. I could have swore. I mean, I think I saw multiple people from Oz on this fucking shit, too. Yeah. Yeah. But there yeah, was when, when uh, I, multiple uh, people from The Sopranos as well. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, fucking goddamn sister and fucking yeah, several Janice other people. Yeah, that's uh, so funny. But yeah, I I think it's easy to miss Carla as a nurse because you're just like, oh wait, do I just think that's her because she's a nurse? Uh, <laughs> but she's actually reprising her role from the show that maybe hasn't started yet. I, I'm not quite sure. Oh yeah, yeah, but she she plays nurses a lot in like entertainment. It seems like that seems to be her fucking chosen role. So, but when I yeah, saw that, I'm like, that she looks very familiar. Then I looked up at Wikipedia. It's like, oh shit, there you are. <laughs> She's real good with an IV, so. Very true. So Cage goes to tell Arquette the news that her father passed. And uh, on the way there, he walks past Sizemore, smashing an ambulance with a bat. Because that guy's just got it out for the world. He's yeah. well adjusted. <laughs> well, no, he's like, well, whatever. It's fucking anarchy now. <laughs> well, okay. you know, that's the thing. I've, I've seen so many movies with violent EMTs. I mean, you know, Friday 13th, Part 5, this movie uh shit i can't think of anymore <laughs> when he arrives at arquette's place he tells her the news that her father's dead and uh he sees her with rose's face and he asks for forgiveness and then she says uh and i think i took a direct quote from the movie here but i may be paraphrasing it it's not your fault no one said you had to suffer that was your idea and uh that seems to be very cathartic for cage and he falls asleep takes a nap yeah he finally takes a nap Uh, i believe she also says um ouchie ouchie it hurts to dead (laughs) yes yes yeah (laughs) but yeah he falls asleep leaning on her and the credits roll and that's that's the whole movie that's my favorite movie Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) what's uh what's everyone think of this one um, I think they got a little bit greedy with the clash. Uh, you know, using Janie Jones was good, but then going for I'm so bored with the USA. I agree. Bad tone. I agree. Yeah. Janie Jones was perfect, but then uh, when, when they come back with I'm so bored with the USA, I'm like, are we just going to go through the whole album? Or, <laughs> I mean, what's my name? Is that next? What's the fucking going on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is the only clash I, I album I give a shit yet. about, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh. What was that, Dave? I said that's a great album, but I didn't watch this movie. <laughs> oh, as somebody who did watch this movie, though, no, I, I fucking love this movie. This movie is really good. I mean, I will say once again, Cage, need to do better with those chest compressions. But other than that, I really have no problem with this movie at all. This movie is fantastic. Yeah, uh, great flick. I would let Cage do whatever he wants to my chest, pretty much. Yeah, uh, he, he can break my sternum. That's fine. Hell yeah. Yeah. I had a great time. It's like just like a fucking bunch of different wild characters and like, you know, just sort of like a fun portrait of like desperation and despair and maybe hope. I don't know. Yeah, I like this movie a lot. It's a really good movie. Uh, Had a lot of really funny moments, had some quite like kind of sad moments, too. Um, I also want to say like the the lighting and colorization are Mm -hmm. just oh yeah great fantastic and they fit the Um, tone so well and just like the cuts between like the frenetic action and the slow like somber listlessness work so well because they they change perfectly with cage's like mental state and they never feel like abrupt or jarring Yeah. yeah this is a beautiful fucking movie yeah the lighting was definitely phenomenal i also love that the oasis has bisexual lighting in it yeah always good I mean, those fish were by as fuck for That's sure. That's very true. Definitely. Very true. Yeah, this is this is a major uh, uh, like blind spot as far as Scorsese goes. I rarely hear anything about this movie, and it's I mean, so fucking good. I mean, it's probably because it was like a bomb, but yeah, 
I mean, it, it was a bomb and it didn't get any nominations. That's that's pretty shit for Scorsese. Bomb, no nom. Bomb, no noms. Uh, but it deserves better. Bomb, it no me noms, like a porn on the not com. a rom-com. Um, although I maybe. mean, <laughs> there is some dark comedy in there and maybe uh, him and Arquette get together. Who knows? Yeah. No I hope she gets her fucking goddamn hair dying together. That shit was stressing me out the whole yeah, fucking her movie. Her fucking roots. Her roots were terrible. There is nothing worse on Look, this earth than like if you dye your hair darker right and then the lighter roots come in. Jesus Christ. And yeah, those yeah, maybe your dad would still be alive if you fucking took care of yourself. Now, oh, and also, the, <laughs> even though the romance was good for the movie, I'm sure there was so that had to have been a HIPAA violation. Oh, well, like, I mean, yeah, I, think I think there are a lot of HIPAA violations in this. No, very, very true. I also but don't like think you're supposed that, to like, drink you, and drive. The idea that you're associating with a patient's like family, is, like especially as intimately as they were, that's uh, that's a little iffy. I mean, Ving Rhames was laying the law down on that, even though you know he was a hell of a person to cast stones about you know romantic uh, pursuits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. Well, his was more harassment than outright illegal. <laughs> Who do you think he loved more, uh, that lady or Jesus? I think he loved whatever, uh, you know, sex worker on the street would actually dress up for a change because he had a whole problem with that. Yeah, that was oh, yeah. That's true. Well, see, the good thing about Jesus uh, is that he's got four extra holes. So that's kind of hot. That's true. Hey, you. Um, Another thing I did want to say is I, I think the soundtrack does work pretty well in this movie, mostly. Uh, I, I, I was annoyed that they did use two Clash songs, although I do like both of those songs. They just could have lost one. Yeah. But uh, I think they could have replaced one of them with like a Weezer song or something. Or a fucking Ramon cool. song. If you, oh, you know yeah. it's New York City, you want to like play some punk shit. Fuck mm-hmm. But uh, outside the ambulance, you get this kind of slower, uh, more pulled back, like or- orchestral score. And in the ambulance, you get like these rock songs that that could be diegetic. I don't know, but they might not be. And uh, it's it's cool. Uh, it adds like an extra upbeat energy to when they're in the ambulance and like speeding around that makes it feel more fast paced that I think uh, is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else that jumped out at me. Um, I mean, the fucking chief, uh, the lieutenant or whatever, barking. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> Just out of nowhere where you're like, is he hallucinating that? <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, no, that actually happened. They're talking about it. <laughs> Which, like, helps, like, lend to the sort of, like, insanity of it and the psychosis where, like, people are just being outright absurd. And then, like, he has, like, so much fucking shit happening inside of his own mind where, like, he can't tell fucking what reality is. Yeah, that that, like, uh, blend back and forth of not being able to tell what is and isn't is is cool. But yeah, that's uh that that's all I have to say about this. I think so far. Uh, I will say the one thing I want to add too is for uh, this movie does I think portray the horrors of fucking working as an EMT because from everything I've heard, it sounds like just like the worst job ever. It doesn't fucking pay very well. The hours are shit. You see people die all the time, blood and guts. Sounds awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember like uh, probably ten years ago. I think I like unfriended somebody on fucking Facebook, and like now I feel bad about it. But they were like, uh, it was like this girl that like was in the army, and then she became an EMT, and like there was some talk of raising the minimum wage, and she just like went batshit crazy into the, you know, why the fuck should they get fifteen dollars an hour when I don't fucking get fucking fifteen dollars oh an hour? God, and we're dude. like, you should be getting more than fifteen dollars an hour. Yeah, <laughs> fucking. 
You know, like, it's, it's, yeah, it's everybody fucking frustrating needs because um, you save people's lives every day. You should get paid way more than 15, but you know who else should get paid $15 an hour? Everybody else, at least. Mm-hmm. Like, why is that so hard? Like, and if they get 15, then fucking obviously your shit's going to get fucking bumped up, you dumb shit. Yeah, you think everyone's wage is going to be $15 because fucking people at McDonald's do? That's not how that shit works, dumbass. It's just crab in a bucket shit. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, so well, speaking of uh, EMT horror stories, Paul Schrader apparently also uh, shadowed an EMT in New York before filming this, and uh, he saw a guy that was cut in half by a train. Ooh, um, holy shit! So he survived. Um, I, you're gonna have to see the new Darth Maul show on Disney Plus to find <laughs> out. <laughs> I think he was in the Clone Wars though, too, with his robotic legs. <laughs> Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Dave, just curious. What? what are your thoughts of... Yeah, do you have a plot summary the... for us, Dave? Yeah. Lilo from Lilo and Stitch is... Uh, ah, fuck, I changed the button. Sarah Jessica Parker. <laughs> Give me a minute here. Well, that, that I mean, that works uh, <laughs> as a plot summary. <laughs> Sarah Jessica Parker is with me. Oh, there we go. No, 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 no. It's like hacking is like my life. You know, I will say for that old man uh, in this movie, it was game over for him because Nick Cage killed him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. So you nailed that aspect, Dave. Uh, you know, and a lot you of people very good job, Dave. I will say one more thought on bringing out the dead is I think it's kind of cool that Nick Cage like got over his like anxiety about accidentally having people die on him to actually intentionally killing people. Yeah. So we went from being a a violation of HIPAA. (laughs) Was it? You were talking about a violation of HIPAA being him being that close to Patricia Arquette's character, but uh, here's the thing: he really killing a patient. At the uh, end I mean, of the day, the is, is just a is legal. I think that's a HIPAA violation, but it's also, I think, um, what's referred to as murder. Oh, yeah, true. I mean, which is worse? I think Cage didn't even want to really kill him until fucking that schmarmy doctor started just like fucking matter of factly talking about all the fucking horse shit tech they were just going to like hoist into this fucking old man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh. that they were going to put like uh essentially a small defibrillator in his body on his heart which no doubt he was sold by some fucking marketing asshole from like ge or adac or something over stakes mm-hmm. oh dude i i could I, I used to work at a clinic where like there was like this big shot doctor who came up with this device like all these devices and i'm like there's no fucking way any of that shit works it, it's some crazy ass i have some crazy fucking medical stories too but um yeah but yeah thanks you thank you very much dave for that great summary you did a, a great job as always yeah, great job, Dave. Mike, I mean, you? that's as much as I want to talk about this fucking movie. <laughs> yeah, I think so, too. I think it might be time to move on. To the <laughs> Amazon reviews? Yes. Oh, yeah, we do. We do have some Amazon reviews, so uh, it's uh, we'll, we'll have it on the mind a little bit more. <laughs> um, I have a review from uh, Todd R. Caspel, uh, who says, Better, yes, better than Taxi Driver. You fogies, you. Uh, <laughs> I really, uh, I don't know really, if this is better than Taxi Driver. I, I mean, it's it's 
it's up there though. It's in the neighborhood. It's in the neighborhood. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of comparisons to uh, Taxi Driver in the reviews uh, in general. Um, I really hope you saw Bringing Out the Dead while it was in the theater. I just saw it and thought it was most excellent. Truly a Martin score cheese film. <laughs> Impossible <laughs> not to compare it to Taxi Driver and it stands up to it. Same beautiful cinematography, New York City night street scenes. Nicolas Cage is no De Niro, but then again, he is Cage, and that works for me. He <laughs> plays disturbed slash deranged so well. The music worked well, too. I may have to get the soundtrack. A lot of nice blues, but some rockers, too. The tunes fit the scenes well. I recently uh, saw a Taxi Driver again, and I don't think it ages well. A bit of a sacred cow, perhaps. I am buying Bringing Out the Dead on DVD and putting it on the shelf with Casablanca and Mars Attacks. Ooh. Uh, um, Casablanca oh, oh, will tie sure. us to Doggy Dog. <laughs> yeah! Uh, uh, oh, yeah, that's from, true. Shit. <laughs> Fuck. I have a review from James Nelson, who says, Stress from PTSD exposure can annihilate. Vivid exposure of mankind's troubled world. Uh, five stars. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, not entirely wrong. Short yeah. but sweet. Could have been a tweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been a tweet. I have a review, review from uh, Bo who says, great movie. As a paramedic, I felt it was my duty to watch this movie. While not everything is totally accurate to the street, it was a good movie. <laughs> Also, there is an ICU nurse in the movie that plays an ICU nurse on Scurbs. Irony. <laughs> Scurbs. Oh! Irony. He's so he... fucking close. How did he? Uh, how did he spell the street? Because I'm picturing it's a T H A street. Uh, t- just regular. I, <laughs> oh, I, damn. I, I was hoping. Yeah. Uh, I actually kind of wish it was more like uh, dust streets. And, <laughs> and how, uh, how do you spell Scurbs? S C U R B S. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, okay. Um, Yeah, pretty much all the five-star reviews of this movie are from, like, people who are training to be an EMT, um, (laughs) who are like, I was told to watch this movie. And then all the low reviews are from people who are like, this is probably an insult to EMTs. (laughs) 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 Uh, People are like, this movie's not accurate at all. And the EMTs are like, no, I mean, it's it's pretty accurate, honestly. (laughs) I am angry on your behalf. (laughs) This is doing erasures of fucking EMTs lived experiences. And here's why you're a piece of shit. (laughs) Uh, uh, I have a review from Jay Fassler who says, confusing. This movie seemed to confuse me from the beginning and would never let up. I was unsure if this was a drama or some sort of dark comedy. Something worth a second <laughs> look at, most definitely. Um, I would say uh, things can be more than one thing. Uh, yes. So, yeah. Consider that. <laughs> I, I think the themes are pretty straightforward, if you ask me. Like, I mean, it's not a completely straightforward movie, but like, I don't know. I don't really think there's a whole lot of like super out there shit in this movie. Yeah, I laughed. I felt shitty, you know, fucking felt yeah. a few other things. It was yeah, all exactly. there. Like, I, I saw the griminess of New York City. Like, yeah, this movie's pretty multifaceted, but it's not super confusing, I don't think. Yeah, Jay Fassler, maybe try uh, no longer cutting off the oxygen to your brain. Uh, I have a review from Ronnie Clay, who says, Corrupted view of paramedics. I personally feel 
it should be a crime to portray paramedics as drunk, abusive, murdering fools. <laughs> it's a Blue Lives Matter, but for EMTs. Yeah. I'll never watch this movie again. It does seem to have a pulse like this. It gets bad. It gets better. It gets worse. It gets better. It gets scream. It gets better. It gets puke and dies a slow death. Now ER in the emergency room, but this movie is about paramedics. <laughs> These guys see a lot of bad things, but I really disapprove of how they are portrayed in this movie. End of line. Okay. Oh, does it say okay. end of line? <laughs> yes, oh, okay. it does. Okay, uh, where to begin? <laughs> <laughs> now ER... But this movie is about paramedics. <laughs> I was confused. Oh my God. Thanks for being a true Amazon patriot, Ronnie Clay. Um, I hope you recovered from how triggered you were by this movie. Yeah. Um, I have a review from Bodie who says, Nicolas Cage films. And Bodie writes, like most Nicolas Cage films, this wasn't one of them. <laughs> what? Ooh. What? Oh, oh. <laughs> I like most Nicolas Cage films, yes. but this wasn't one of them. Okay. This wasn't one of them. Oh, I, I thought prefer- maybe that meant oh. this was a good one and most Nicolas Cage films were bad. Uh, I mean, that's dubious, but like in this era, Nick Cage movies were pretty much universally good, or at least at the very bare minimum entertaining. Mm-hmm. Possible. Yeah, for sure. I mean, this was the era when he actually got his Oscar. Yeah. Uh, I have a review from Lisa Millwood who writes five stars. Absolutely not. <laughs> I am racking my brain trying to figure out why anyone would rate this movie five stars. I had never heard of this movie, but read who the actors were and figured it would be good. Well, big Tom Sizemore fan. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I definitely now know why I have never heard of it. And I was very disappointed given the director, no substance to this movie and ridiculous how they introduced the death of the girl who was haunting the main character. I think the ambulance paramedics were so unrealistic that I can't understand why anyone would enjoy this movie. I couldn't decide whether I should laugh at the ridiculous behavior or be taking it seriously. I would comment on the acting, but you can only do so much with the material that you are given. And this material was so beneath all of the involved actors and the director that I am just shocked. It was a free movie on Amazon during this period of isolation, and I was... Uh, able to make it through the whole movie barely. Hmm. Two stars. Well, uh, yeah. I don't understand. I want to see it, what but... they think a one-star movie is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I can't say I agree with anything she said. Um, I have a review from Brian Slaughter who writes. Wait, wait, ambulance is, driver. Is this is this person related to Jesse Slaughter or Sergeant Slaughter? So. This is yeah. Sergeant Slaughter's uh, nephew. Daughter uh, of Slaughter. <laughs> Daughter of Slaughter. Uh, that the sounds writer... like that's a good movie title. And <laughs> Ooh. we need to make that. Uh, the writer Paul Schrader and director Martin Scorsese, who brought you the thrilling era defining taxi driver, have finally reunited to provide audience with another twisted journey. Ambulance driver. <laughs> It will leave you on the edge of sleep, yearning for plot and contemplating strange creative decisions. Why is it set in the early 90s? Why does the soundtrack include two Clash songs? Hey, that's fair. (laughs) If Taxi Driver was too extreme, Ambulance Driver is just right. Two stars. 
epic it, lol is is just right is this a fucking goldilocks like movie for this person uh i have a review from jim 762 who says what who in their right mind would cast a 400 pound john goodman as a paramedic this brilliant producer has obviously lost his way good luck Taylor, okay. help us out. There's definitely some big, fat, fat fuck fucking paramedics. No, yes. I was literally going to mention that. I've seen plenty of paramedics who are big chonkers, I will say. I've seen plenty of medical staff who are big chonkers, and they can do their job just fine, okay? You can be a chungus and do uh, uh, chest anything, uh, really. Mm-hmm. Plus, John um, Goodman in real life, I think, played like like high school or college football or something. Like he was a pretty built dude in his like prime. Uh well, at this period of time though, I think he was uh filming like a post like Roseanne fucking uh he was a big boy at this point, and uh, he was film I remember hearing that he was filming some fucking sitcom and that everyone in the studio audience was freezing their ass off because in order for him not to like sweat through all the oh. fucking makeup under the <laughs> stage lights, they had to keep the studio at like 50 degrees or some shit. Oh, oh shit. that's Jesus. absolutely fucking hilarious. But, but no, yeah, John Goodman could absolutely be a paramedic or EMT. That's not a problem at all. John Goodman, um, you got the green light. Live your best life. You and David Lee Roth. Yeah, yes. Fuck. Uh, David Lee Roth, um, rest in peace. And, um, and I, also big, last, big talky Axel Rose, too. My last review comes from Underwear, um, who writes, don't judge a book by its cover. And Underwear writes, don't judge this movie by its cover unless your version has a big pile of dog crap on it. If you're bulimic, Check this one out after you've binged on a Big Mac to save your finger the trouble. Oh, one star. What? What? I I don't. It's not okay to be fair. He said, don't judge a book by its cover. Were they talking about the book that this movie was based on? I think they're just using the term. Now, was that book set in the early 90s? Because that is going to be a make make or break for me. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I don't know why. It's got to take place in the late 90s because that's when I'm watching it. <laughs> it has to take place Shit. in 2020 during a pandemic because that's when I'm watching it because it's on Amazon for free. Exactly. <laughs> in these unprecedented times, I am watching. <laughs> I'm watching Gladiator and I don't see any mention of the pandemic and no one's wearing a mask. I don't know what this is or who this is for. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Damn. Well, that's all I have for reviews. So. All right. Uh, fuck well, off. Well, if that's all you have for yeah. reviews, uh, we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back to talk about Dog Eat Dog. Dog Eat Dog. Uh, be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and we're going to talk to you now about the movie Dog Eat Dog. Dog Eat Dog. Dog Pound, Cleveland, Ohio. <laughs> yeah. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so this movie came out in 2016 and was directed by Paul Schrader, who you might know as being the writer of the last movie we just talked about. And the director, once again, of Dying of the Light. <laughs> yeah, and Dying of the Light, which uh, we also covered on the show way And back we really in- loved I don't even know what episode that might have been even like single digits. This was written by Matthew Wilder, 
related to Van Wilder, I believe. <laughs> yeah. A runtime of 93 minutes. Budget, no word on this anywhere. I checked a lot of places that I could. <laughs> there, I no idea what the budget is for this movie. But I'll tell you, you know this. what that means. The yeah, it's definitely in the red. Just Stop. based off the box office uh, totals I'm getting here. Wikipedia said sixty nine thousand uh, dollars. And then nice. the numbers, nice. a movie financials website said two hundred and twenty thousand dollars internationally. So I don't know if uh, Wikipedia just had the domestic, but we know this movie made max three hundred thousand dollars. So, like, less than what Jeff Bezos makes in a second. Reviews, this got a 50% on the tomato meter from Rotten Tomatoes and a 19% from audiences. So critics actually like this a lot more than than people. Critics are perverts. Yeah, indeed they are. Some of the freaking smartest perverts, not not generally, but in this case. But that's all I have for the the basic facts. If Mike wants to hit us with some trivia, if he has any. Sure, I have a couple things. Uh, Nicholas Cage paid $100,000 of his salary to Willem Dafoe uh, to pursue him to make the movie. Hmm. So that's why he was in here shouting the N-word a bunch. <laughs> uh, Paul Schrader uh, approached Michael Wincott, Michael Douglas, Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, Nick Nolte, Christopher Walken, Jeff Goldblum, and Rupert Everett for the role of Greco the Greek. But in the end, he played the role himself in his acting debut. Hmm. Um, so he's that one old guy. Where he also the, drops racial slurs. The one they get yeah, the jobs I mean, from? Yeah. This is like yeah. Albert Brooks in uh, fucking Drive or some shit. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's all I got. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, this is very thin. Holy shit. <laughs> well, uh, well, I'll, I'll, I'll drop some, uh, the apples groceries tour that you see towards the end of the movie. Uh-huh. Uh, that's definitely not an apples there. I am not aware of a grocery store called apples. That was either a Marks or a giant Eagle. Mm-hmm. Oh shit. Okay. Representing Ohio. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, like, what fucking grocery store is just called Apples? Like, what the fuck? No, we got Marks and we got Giant Eagle. And I assume the Giant Eagle was, uh, you know, dreamed up while, like, high on, like, fucking mescaline or something by some millionaire that was like, yeah. I see a Giant Eagle and I see savings for regular <laughs> yeah. moms, dads, families, hardworking people. Yeah, I was going to say, it definitely didn't, look like a, definitely didn't look like a Kroger or anything like that. No. Nah. It was either a Marks, and Marks is a hilarious uh, local, like north, mostly northeast Ohio, fucking uh, grocery store chain where uh, their mascot is the owner, Mark, who is just like kind of looks like Ted Turner and has a parrot. <laughs> and uh, sometimes you can see him in the parking lot of his locations and yell his name and be like, hey, Mark. And he ignores you and he's never has that parrot on him. You know, except for the parrot part, that also reminds me of those old Woodman's commercials where they get that like weird, awkward white guy on it. And I'm like, does he own Woodman's? Like, who the fuck is that guy? That is the Woodman. <laughs> I don't know if that was a thing down here, but that was definitely a thing in Green Bay. Let me tell you. Yeah, he reminded me of uh, Matthew Lesko. I'm going to have to disagree and say that Apples is a great name for a grocery store. Um, probably no name more fitting unless you wanted to call it uh, Onion or Shallot. What about oranges? Yeah, well, that that could be the the competition, maybe. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, it's apples and oranges. Can't it's compare fine. them. Well, I'm glad we got someone here from Cleveland to give us the real uh, insider scoop on this movie. 
to tell Did us you do this on purpose? Because I know I had an option between uh, fucking bringing out the dead and I think face off or no, the rock. And I chose what was the rock against? Uh, I don't remember right now. So this was just a happy fucking accident. That's crazy. Completely happy accident. You picked the episode. I thought maybe <laughs> I had was... no idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, I thought maybe you knew. And, you know, um, speaking of the Cleveland thing, I remember the very first time I heard about this movie as I was like browsing YouTube. And, the, you know, the scene where like Nick Cage, like stops a car in the parking lot of the grocery store. Mm. Somebody actually like had like a phone cam in their car in the parking lot. Like, hey, I see Nick Cage in the parking lot of this grocery store. <laughs> oh, and, like, it had like 10,000 views on YouTube. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> and then we're reviewing this movie like six months later. Oh, damn. Uh, the, the Rock will be coming up against Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans. Oh, damn oh, it. Oh. <laughs> Dude, that's going to be a fucking rough episode. Jesus Christ. That's a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, that's a that fucking is. lot to talk about. That, that one's going to go on for a long time. But um, to keep this one from going on for too long, uh, I'll jump right into a plot summary here. Willem Dafoe is doing drugs and getting strange phone calls asking what he does for a living, which I, I, I still don't understand that phone call. Oh, and, <laughs> and also before we get too much in the plot, there's like eight different production companies involved with this fucking movie. Oh, yeah. I didn't uh, I didn't bother to list them because none of them are notable enough to even have a Wikipedia page. But <laughs> surprised we didn't get them. a Saturn stamp on this one. Yeah. Yeah. They were like I was like, how fucking how many production companies are involved in this? Like, Jesus. <laughs> it was kind of the same thing that happened with the Wicker Man. Oh, for sure. Um, I, I will say I did laugh at the very first scene of this movie when he's talking to the guy on the phone and the guy's like, I didn't know people still had that kind of job, gut and fish. And he says, well, I didn't know people still had the job of calling people at dinner and bugging the shit out of a motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> he bangs the phone off the wall. Yeah. <laughs> and like the whole time you're like, this is your first like vision of him. And you're like, what is this guy doing in this fucking weird pink fucking house yeah and the bathroom's blue or something like it's a weird colored place it is well it's it's colored lighting too because there's like pink lights in that room and then blue light in another room and yeah it's very Taylor, you were talking about bisexual lighting well there <laughs> we go. i um, think this was uh fucking like gender reveal lighting fucking oh, yeah. if a girl went into that bathroom it would like flash pink <laughs> yeah well it's not really gender reveal because nobody crashed a plane or burned down a forest well i mean some people died it's very, very uh, similar to a gender reveal party. It has a body count. It can be a gender reveal party. <laughs> so yeah, after he he smashes the phone off the wall and then goes to shoot up heroin again, at which point his wife or girlfriend or whatever has found porn on her computer and she she screams something about like I only use my computer for three things my church spreadsheets my email and something else and then it zooms in on the screen and it's like asianteensquirters.com yep I saw that. it was so fucking funny and that was actually half realistic because a scumbag like that would like just go to the most knuckleheaded fucking idiot fucking <laughs> right. porn site on somebody else's computer yeah oh, like he just types in pussy and google <laughs> yeah <laughs> But yeah, she she finds that porn on her laptop and gets absolutely pissed and uh, tries to kick him out. And in response, Willem Dafoe just brutally murders her with a knife. And then Damn, her his gunning knife, yes. his fish knife. Yeah, really. That he keeps strapped on his ankle, yeah. even when he's just sitting around the house watching TV. Yeah. 
and then he shoots her kid. That I, kid was annoying as shit, if we're being oh, honest. It's, well, yeah, it's true. That kid was Willem, a fucking terror. Willem Dafoe in the first five minutes of this movie murders a, a woman and a, like, maybe preteen child. Mm-hmm. Murders a child in her bed, then sits down on the bed with her body in it to smoke crack. <laughs> He's a renaissance man. Fucking <laughs> smack, crack, murder. You know, to be fair, I, I believe that trajectory of, you know, looking up porn on somebody's laptop, murdering a, a woman and her child and then smoking crack. That is a this is the like life trajectory of half the people who did grow up in Appleton like Willem Dafoe did. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. Appleton sucks. Sorry. Tell that to Harry Houdini. <laughs> that was Oshkosh, I believe. Didn't he grow up in Oshkosh or was it Appleton? I thought it was Appleton. It might I be. I don't Appleton. know. He's dead now. Fuck him. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck that loser. Nicholas Cage introduces us through narration to uh, the, the the various characters in this. There's a uh, Mad Dog, who is Willem Dafoe, and Diesel, uh, played by Christopher Cook, a man who follows everyone on Twitter, even me. And me too. <laughs> Damn, I gotta fucking follow him. <laughs> Dime store fucking Michael Chiklis. <laughs> yeah, he's uh he's a weird looking guy. I'll just say that. He's Chiklis, all right. Uh, Cage met Mad Dog in prison, and uh, as you could tell from the earlier scene, uh, Defoe is just fucking crazy in this movie. Uh, yeah, you- and he he like introduces him as like, uh, not many people like Mad Dog, and yeah, I guess you can see why, uh, <laughs> which is the understatement of the um, century. Yeah. And you know that there there's a line of dialogue because uh, uh, Christopher Matthew Cook in this movie is just like. Just some random like guy who just holds up liquor stores and is like, you know, in another universe, he could have went to Stanford. He's really smart. But nothing <laughs> in this movie indicates that he's very smart. He's a very dumb and impulsive motherfucker. Yeah. 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 I feel um, that. This uh, this strip club scene also like inexplicably in black and white. Yeah. OK, so like first off, you know, that's one of my least favorite motifs in a movie is when it's in black and white for no fucking reason. And this movie has a black and white scene for no fucking reason. Mm. Yeah, it. It surprised me to see that he like offered a role to Tarantino because he seems like he's trying really hard to be him uh, in this movie. Yeah, yeah, down down to the dropping the end box. <laughs> yeah, the N word, the random cuts to black and white, all that Tarantino stuff. Lady stabbing. Yeah, there wasn't any feet in this movie though, was there? Yeah, that's probably why he turned it down. <laughs> <laughs> so they. Uh... All three of them had apparently gone to prison at different times, but I think they all met each other in prison. I know at least Cage and Defoe were supposed to have met each other in prison. Yeah, um, they they met uh, when Nicolas Cage got into a fight with some guy, and then to prevent Nicolas Cage from getting in trouble, Willem Defoe stepped up and like just brutally murdered him. Yeah, just pulled uh, his back open with a knife. Or yeah, something. just like extended his own sentence for someone he wasn't even on a first name basis with. So <laughs> Nicolas Cage felt like obligated to, uh, you know, carry him uh, in the crew. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, Mad Dog is a pretty big idiot. So he would do something like that. Yeah. Mad Dog was just like, I like the cut of your jib. You remind me of Humphrey okay. Bogart. He's <laughs> impulsive and stupid. Is Are the char- the three characters in this movie, are they supposed to be based off the protagonist from Grand Theft Auto 5? <laughs> Because Mad Dog is basically just Trevor, isn't he? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, does does that make Diesel Franklin? I think so, basically. <sighs> yeah, I think. <laughs> 
Also, uh, Willem Dafoe cannot stop saying the N word, and they're all kind of racist. Like every character. I mean, to be fair, are just like most like middle-aged white guys from Wisconsin. They just drop fucking racial slurs all the time. Yeah, not a single one of them is redeemable in any way. Yeah. Well, I mean, at the very least, uh, fake Michael Chiklis didn't kill the girl that yelled at him. So that was That's nice. True. That's true. Yeah. He, he saw to reason. Uh, but for a second there, it looked like he was going to fucking flip. <laughs> you know, it, it is really weird that like the one actor that no one's ever heard of going up against Willem Dafoe and Nick Cage, by the way, two like like charisma fucking like beacons. The best yeah, totally. character out of three of these is Christopher Matthew Cook, who is like a no, no, nobody actor. Mm. He's like the best character in that trio, in my opinion. Really? Yeah. Shout out to him for getting that fucking role. That's that's big business. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's BDE shit right there, man. Hell yeah. And he's still thriving off it because that's his Twitter banner, I think. Uh, yeah, it is. Yep. And that's his pinned tweet. Yeah, and when he's not tweeting about 9-11, he's tweeting about dog-eat-dog. And you know what? Uh, we stand all that. Yeah, oh. and I will say, in a completely unironic like, fucking moment here, Christopher Matthew Cook, if you want to be on the show, we will have you on the show. We mean that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were great in this movie, and I'll kiss your feet. For sure. Cage is the one of the group who has all the connections to get everyone paid. And he finds them a job finding the drug stash of some other dude. There's some random gangbanger, basically. So they impersonate cops, uh, including making a fake cop car with, I guess, tape on the side of the car. The uniforms were right. Yeah. And that scene also probably had one of the most racist moments in this entire movie. It was like, all these fucking gangbangers and watch too much BET or something. And I'm like... Who fucking wrote this dialogue? Yeah. Like, what the fuck? He doesn't even say BET. He says Black Entertainment Television. That's what it is. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> dude, come on. Like, this just feels like you're at, like, a fucking, like, um, construction site in the middle of nowhere just hearing, like, some random, like, dumbass chud talk about fucking black people. Like, it's like, what is this crap? To be fair, that is a line that sounds authentic coming from, like, a, a middle-aged white guy. Or no, that's very a true. 50 though, to, to 60 year old white guy, even though his characters are definitely not 50 to 60 years old. Hmm. So but but yeah, that whole scene, I'm like, this movie's really fucking racist, isn't it? Like, they're, yeah, like you drop man bombs all the time saying shit like that. I'm like, the writer of this movie really wants to say that he's like, oh, I'm racist. I wrote this movie, right? Yeah. And also, like any of the dialogue for black people is just like very obviously written by a fucking white person. Like, you know, yeah, like this is, in my opinion, probably the most racist Nick Cage movie since Rage. Like this movie is really fucking racist. All Schrader's just like, hey, I know New York, you know, this is how they talk. <laughs> I saw a guy get cut in fucking half. <laughs> um, they're, they're dressed up as cops and they pull over their target and arrest him. Uh, then they reveal they're taking him to the stash and force him <laughs> to get it open. They I'm sorry, excuse me one second. I just looked up uh, Christopher Michael Cook's uh, fucking Twitter. And his pin tweet for goddamn dog eat dog features a blurb from joeblow.com that says <laughs> a one of a kind caper made all the more memorable by how funny it is. Yeah, this movie's really funny. If, if your favorite book is the Turner Diaries, this is a very funny movie for you. Dude, yeah, what the fuck? Uh, All right, I'm sorry, carry on. No, it's good. I just followed him, though. Uh, <laughs> 
they steal the drugs in the stash and then drive off and they get paid nine thousand dollars for this apparently uh while they were getting shot at on the job and they go on a weird party trip sequence uh they all get girls who disappoint them in various ways because they're all fucking misfit weirdos um yeah, they uh, <laughs> yeah, they're just like, hey, uh, hey, we're weird, even with hookers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like, of course, Mad Dog is like getting a happy ending from some masseuse, and it doesn't go well, and because of all the fucking coke. Yeah, <laughs> and Nick Cage is like trying to woo a girl who doesn't seem very intelligent either. But Matthew, like Christopher Cook's, like his portrayal in this in this moment is actually like kind of multifaceted in a way because he's like, you know, kind of, um, you know, probably got post-traumatic stress disorder from his time in prison and shit like that. And he thinks that people judge him and stuff. Yeah, like, he's just got this like paranoid delusion thing going on. But like quiet and shy at the same time. Yeah, like yeah. to be honest, I think his character, I'm not, I'm not lying when I think he's like a very interesting character in this movie who's got a lot of fucking, he's like a very multifaceted character. Like I kind of like his character. Like when mm-hmm. he says like, you know, he just doesn't like music at all like and he's like i mean that's like just speaks volumes fucking in a oh, weird yeah. way when the the girl he's with gives this like weird uh, impassioned speech about elliot smith and it i it's really and also delivered terribly uh because because she's talking about how like oh yeah he broke through you know seattle he was the acoustic guy when everything was nirvana and alice in chains like, why the fuck are we having this conversation? <laughs> In yeah. whatever the fuck year this is supposed to be. Who wrote really this? Is. Cameron Crowe? Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess this was based off of a fucking novel by, like, some, like, longtime crime author. Oh, yeah. shit, really? Uh, Edward Bunker. Yeah. Hmm. That, like, actually wrote some novels that got turned into good things. So, who the fuck knows? <laughs> yeah, this is one of them. Yeah. yeah, this is definitely one of them. So, uh... Cage resolves that they all need to get a really big job, and he finds one where they have to kidnap a one-year-old and hold them for ransom. Uh, they'll promise they'll get a total of, like, $750,000 for it, uh, maybe more. So he's, like, hesitant, but it seems to be the only way out of doing these random little jobs where they don't get very far ahead. So they all agree that they either succeed at this job or they all die. And uh, I'm just remembering that scene now, reading my notes for the first time since watching the movie. I'm like, oh, okay. I see connections later. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, mission accomplished, I suppose. And uh, (laughs) then I I write (laughs) here in my notes. So here we are halfway through the film and the main plot is finally starting. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's amazing how long this movie takes to just get fucking started. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ. Like, Bringing Out the Dead was like two hours, two minutes or whatever the fuck. And felt like half as long as this like 93 minute fucking thing. It really yeah. fucking did. It really yeah, did. Definitely. Very much. There's so. such a like there's a <laughs> such a lull in the middle of this movie because Schrader spends the entire beginning of it like trying to seem stylistic and cool with no substance. Yeah, and it, that's that whole opening scene has no connection to the rest of the film fucking at all. Oh, well, yeah. it was a little bit with uh, the bodies hi- hidden, yeah. but... Oh, kind of, yeah, but it's, it's yeah. still just like... It feels just like a complete non-sequitur from the rest of the film otherwise, in my opinion. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and so, what, like, when it actually gets to the story stuff, like, it's kind of boring. It really is. Like, this movie really shot its load too fucking fast, at least in that regard. Yeah, exactly. True. So they break into the guy's house, walk upstairs to get the kid, 
but some guy is there waiting and walks in with a pistol and Defoe immediately shoots that guy's head off. <laughs> he blasts it right explodes off. it. Yeah, just <laughs> blows it right the fuck off. Um, Which, you know you're really smart because Nick Cage personally recommended Mad Dog be on this job. And it's like, you know how much of a literal loose cannon he is. Yeah. This is not going to end well. He just needs to kill. And I fucking called it. Like, I fucking called it as far as like, I was like, Oh, that's definitely the guy that they're supposed to be getting the fucking ransom from. Yeah. yeah and like, there was no fucking surprise there. Yeah, no, it I, really isn't. That's like, what I thought it was immediately, too. And I was like, well, they just killed the guy they're supposed to get the ransom from, right? And yeah, then they all play it off like yeah. they don't. I'm like, oh, maybe I'm putting together some connection I'm not supposed to. I don't know. No, um, I love that. No. That was like supposed to be a twist, but like I called it too. I'm like, oh, they just, they fucked this whole thing up. And it's like, oh no, it's actually not because you had an ID or something. And then like, eventually it's like, no, that was the guy. And it's like, yeah, I know. You don't have to tell me that. I know. <laughs> yeah. That was in <laughs> Cleveland Heights, by the way, I believe, because they said they were going to the Heights and those houses uh, did look like they were in Cleveland Heights. Oh, cool. cool. Interesting. Um, and I will say too, uh, you know, they could have just gotten Nick Cage and D-list Michael Chiklis, or as I'll call him Michael Dickless on this like fucking job and they shouldn't have even gotten mad dog in the first place. It probably would have went off without a fucking hitch, but then they would have had to do the math on seven fifty uh split two ways and you know, fucking three ways. That's two fifty each, but set, you want them to figure out 375,000. Do yeah, you really think a, they're fucking smart enough to do that? Yeah, that is too an tough. awkward number. It's an awkward number. That's they did to give away 50,000 and just like have 350 each or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, so they load up the nanny and the baby into their car and Defoe and Diesel drive off with them to take them to the spot. Cage stays behind to deliver the message to the mother who says that the father is in Camden and then he gets pissed at her and shoots her. I don't know. It was fucking odd. <laughs> yeah, it was fucking weird. They lock the maid up in a room with a combination lock and phone. And when the ransom is delivered, uh, they will call and give her the combination. And then he like tries to like make out slash like rape her in a weird like two seconds. And then it's over. That was such an awkward fucking moment. I must have missed that. Yeah, he was like, hey, baby, come in. And he like like tries to like fucking rape her for like two seconds, then stops. It's so weird. Yeah. Uh, well, very unpleasant, by the way. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I missed it. I cannot <laughs> not recommend it enough. <laughs> yeah, very true. Uh, Cage then calls the guy he gets the jobs from so they can deliver the ransom demand themselves uh, and, and, you know, like to that guy. And he finds out that the guy who was supposed to pay the ransom was the guy they shot. And the client is likely going to be super pissed. Meanwhile, Defoe and Diesel are going to uh, bury the body of the guy they shot in some, like, random, like, abandoned seaside building. I don't know. Uh, well, Coast Guard know, Station. Lake Coast Guard Station. Okay. You know, interestingly enough, I think they said they were going to Toledo. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. Uh, he said just outside. Of, well, it was weird because he's like, wait, what did he say? It was like before Toledo, like an hour from Toledo, it's only two hours away. And it's like Toledo is like two and a half hours away from cleveland yeah so, i was gonna say like i'm pretty sure it was you know i'm pretty sure it's very like that close by that's i mean it's not as bad as uh fucking as far as ohio geography goes in films in uh tommy boy uh they mentioned that they you know the woman has to catch a flight from like cuyahoga heights to fucking cleveland or something and those oh. that that's half an hour apart 
That's that is a half hard. hour drive. That would be literally be up and down in a fucking airplane. Yeah, well, they said it's like an hour from, you know, Toledo from whatever. Where they going to fucking Sandusky or something? Like, where the fuck are they going to drop his body? Like, off? yeah, well, even then, that would be like an hour and 15. But like, <laughs> it wouldn't take them two hours from Cleveland to get there. Like, yeah. unless maybe they unless maybe they took like route two. But even then, fucking you'll be there fucking quick enough. <laughs> Mm. I love how we, uh, somebody who's only been to Ohio once and you live there, like we are, we're better than this fucking movie. It's hilarious. I'm curious if the novel was based in Cleveland or if they just decided what the fuck, let's have it be based in Cleveland. I wouldn't be surprised this movie did it for like some weird tax break or something. Well, Cleveland has been opening up its legs to fucking Hollywood in a big way in like the last 10 years, you Mm. know, fucking having the goddamn fucking Avengers fucking shut down entire stretches of like the fucking freeway for like, pennies to the city and fucking like you know this and that so that we can just open our asshole out to the fucking world and say hey we're like vancouver but you know i don't know there's buildings yeah <laughs> we're vancouver on fucking lake erie or whatever but yeah fuck that uh, i was in one of these projects though i was in a film called the taqua cores if anyone ever saw that Ooh. It's uh, fucking based on a novel by this dude, Michael Muhammad Knight, and it's about a Muslim punk house. And it was filmed inside of a DIY space I was living in in oh. like 2008. Oh, shit. I, I got to play a dude in a punk band uh, that dressed like the Taliban and were hardline straight edge. And, <laughs> and uh, Noreen DeWolf, if you remember her from Anger Management, or I think she was in uh, The Goods, Live Hard, Sell Hard. Also, um, fucking she was in the Maximum Top 100 Hottest Women. Uh, she is in a burka the whole movie until she blows a guy on stage and then spits cum on all of us, at which point we stomp a man to death. <laughs> oh, shit. Okay. I got to you know see what? this movie. Yeah, yeah what we got to fucking called? see this movie. The Takwa Cores, T-A-Q-W-A-C-O-R-E-S. There's also a documentary about an actual movement that sprung up out of the whole fucking like, you know, like basically a bunch of like Muslim kids read the novel and like started their own like Takwa Core bands. But this was the fictionalized, dramatized movie with Noreen DeWolf, who, uh, for the record, I... Uh, I recommended uh, the uh, concoction for that fake cum. It was uh, some watered down uh, toaster strudel topping. Oh, <laughs> so, that's, that's so fucking cool. And so we were about- just like in our fucking Taliban garb, just smelling like cinnamon and shit. <laughs> um, you know, a fun, fun fact here. I will say, though, is that the movie that you described that sounds way better than this one has a much higher IMDb score than Doggy Dog. I believe it. It went to Sundance. It fucking like, you know, had a very wide release in France for question. I mean, there's a lot of Muslims in France, but then there's also a lot of people that would like to watch something like heretical against uh, Islam. You know, fucking. Uh, I will say Noreen DeWolf. I, I've never heard of her, but yeah, she's pretty hot. So. Smoke show, but we're not using that anymore. But then again, fucking Chet is canceled. So smoke show. Yeah, Yeah, we are absolutely using smoke show this summer. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm bringing back all my salmon colored clothing. So, all right. Uh, But yeah, on on the way to dump the body, Defoe and Diesel start having a conversation where Defoe confesses that he murdered like his girlfriend and the kid and he needs help getting his life back together and he wants Diesel to become good friends with him so that he can help him. And he keeps having this conversation while they're hauling the body and the the floor like gives out in the spot where they actually dump it and they fall through and just hit the floor below 
And Defoe doesn't miss a beat. He just keeps talking about what he was talking about before. This is so yeah. fucking drug addicts fucking dealing with each other. It's yeah. insane. Oh, it, it really is. It really fucking is. I mean, I've, I've never like, I mean, I've never done drugs really much at all, but like I used to work at a prison where people were like coming off of drugs all the time and they talked exactly like that. Mm-hmm. Um, like he did nail it in that regard. And like, you know, fucking I've definitely been around people like on drugs that like just are not going to shut the fuck up, like regardless of whatever is like fucking going on around them. Oh, for sure. And I will say that 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 was like one of the few scenes in this movie that I thought was funny because he's having like a fucking like therapy session with with fucking Diesel while with a sociopath that like really has no emotions or feelings that he allows out like whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was one of the few scenes where I like kind of laughed at it. But the, the yeah, very funny scenes in this movie were very few and far between. I will say. Diesel gets just fucking pissed because Defoe won't shut the fuck up, and so he shoots him in the head. <laughs> just fucking kills him and then uh it's a simple solution yeah very simple yeah, solution sure. uh cage picks up diesel who i think he tells him that defoe killed himself and uh cage like informs diesel of the situation how they killed the guy they're supposed to get the ransom from and uh they're trying to figure out what to do and they decide to stop at the supermarket because diesel wants to get something there and uh, the employees inside think he looks suspicious as fuck because he has been hauling around a body and he shot a guy in the head. And he has a gun in his fucking like back pocket or whatever and like the back of his like sweatpants. Yeah. And uh, they they call the cops and one cop goes in to check out Diesel <coughs> while the other goes to check out Cage in the car and uh, decide they want to search it. So uh, Cage clocks that cop in the head, and when the other cop rushes out to help... The lady cop, too. Like, just fucking bops her. Yeah, lady cop, (laughs) he just hits her right in the fucking head. And uh, the other cop is rushing over to help, and Diesel shoots the lady cop then. So she's just getting a full punishment here. Cage is arrested and starts to get hauled away. And Diesel steals uh, another cop car that's pulled up as backup when the shooting started and drives off until he crashes into a pole and oh. dies. And I will say there was a very awkward moment because there, uh, at one point while he's driving away, there's a cop who like shoots at the car and there's like this weird like special effect. Oh, there's yeah. like a pointed gun thing and there's like a like a like a laser sight at the fucking car or whatever. It looks fucking awful. I, I, w- I had to pause it. I'm like, wait what the fuck is this? Like, it looks like something out of a fucking video game, like a bad video game. <laughs> like something you get at like a fucking store that was in a, that was like a VHS video game that you play along with at home or something. Like it looks horrible. Which is weird for how, because for how dog shit this fucking movie largely is, there was some occasional decent like gore, like, you know, sort of like gun effects and shit. No, like, when sure. people get their heads fucking blown off, it looks good as hell. <laughs> and yeah, the, sure. sta- the stabbing was, you know, while righteously unpleasant looked fucking horrifying it did mm-hmm. um but yeah diesel crashes his car right oh yeah so diesel crashes his car into a pole and dies and uh the cops that are taking cage back to the station are pissed because he was he was in a well let's say police involved shooting um yeah this is a weird fucking scene so, yeah. yeah i was gonna say i think ice t was a big fan of that scene so oh yes uh, they they pull over, pull Cage out of the car, just beat him a bit, and then handcuff him to the outside of the car and drive, dragging him on the pavement. 
So then we see on a news report in the diner that I believe it says that Cage and Diesel were both killed. Um, and I think the, it said they were arrested because I, I saw there was like mug shots of them. Oh, maybe. Yeah, I, I think Diesel survived, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, shit. OK, I could be wrong, but I, I saw in the like the, the like brief little news report where it showed their faces for like two seconds that had them with like what they look like now with like mugshot pictures, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I Diesel, it could have went either way with that crash. Like he could have just been knocked out or he could have just been dead as shit. Mm-hmm. For sure. That was definitely a big part of the budget of this movie, though, was wrecking that fucking car. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. The police are saying it was part of an armed pursuit. Uh, but then we see Cage take a random couple hostage and force them to drive him somewhere. He, he starts talking like Humphrey Bogart. Who he's yeah, been something that he mentioned earlier movie. in the movie. Yeah, he'd mentioned it a few times earlier in the movie that people tell him he looks like Humphrey Bogart all the time. So I guess now he's just snapped into that mode. It's it's weird. Yeah, we were all thinking it. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. While he's forcing them to drive, uh, they get pulled over by the cops and he gets out and starts shooting at the cops. Uh, when the cops shoot back, the innocent couple inside the car is just shot up completely. Eviscerated. Which, yeah. which I, I will say, to be fair, that is a very accurate scene because cops would do something like that. Yeah, probably. And Cleveland Absolutely. cops have. Yeah. I, I don't doubt that for a second. And... Um, well, there was that whole thing with like the UPS driver where there was like taken hostage or whatever. And then they just like lit up the fucking UPS car and like, <laughs> yeah, killed, like they five killed people. Like, like 15 bystanders. <laughs> Or like what they did with Chris Dorner when they just like found any car that looked like his and just lit it up. Yeah. Eventually, they, they managed to shoot Cage also, and he gets hauled into the back of a cop car. And that's the end. That's the whole movie. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I'll go first. This movie fucking sucked. This movie was awful. <laughs> yeah. Uh... I, I hated nearly the entire runtime. I will say the beginning scene with Willem Dafoe was like genuinely entertaining in a fucking weird ass way. Like I, I didn't know if I was actually watching a movie or not. Like I thought it was like a dream or something for a second. I'm like, what the fuck is this? Mm-hmm. But the rest of the movie is nearly unwatchable outside of Christopher Matthew Cook's relatively nuanced character. Yeah, I personally, I, I didn't really like this movie much at all. Uh, it does a lot of interesting things with color that are kind of cool, or at least That's early true. in the movie, and then it gives up on it later. You're talking um, about all the like slurs and stuff? Okay, no, that's not at all <laughs> what I meant. I meant literal colored lights. Holy shit. <laughs> we do know that Jess has referred to those people as colored before. So. Jesus Christ. No, I haven't. <laughs> I, I do like the premise of three idiots trying to carry out a big crime job and just utterly failing at it. Uh, I'm not really sure I like the execution as it happens in this movie, though. It's a or the actual executions that happen in this movie. Yeah, it's it's a relentlessly dark movie. Um, and man, it feels like we've had a lot of those lately, doesn't it? We really have. Um, but it also feels like it should have been longer to do what it wanted to do. But it still felt like it was too long. I, I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, it's weird. This it's... movie is too short, but too long. Like <laughs> the the scene transition where like Nick Cage is being dragged by the car and then he somehow like makes it out and kidnaps the couple. Like, I felt like there was a missing scene. There had to be a missing scene in there or something. Yeah, yeah, that was really it confusing. Felt... Fucking, I mean, I don't know. Well, number one, as a Clevelander, this is not who we are. <laughs> um, yeah. 
Uh, only some of those casino scenes seemed uh, accurate. Also, only some of those strip club scenes seemed accurate to the uh, location. Some of those strip clubs were way too nice for dealing with those scummy guys. Shouts out to my neighbor, dancer. I know. But yeah, this fucking sucks shit. <laughs> Just like a few, like, this is the kind of one, this reminds me, like, if I had seen this, like, I had a friend that told me that one time a friend of theirs was really hungover. And uh, fucking like, you know, they like, you know, we're just like dealing with it, drinking water, drinking coffee. They turned on the TV and little Nikki was on the TV and like little Nikki's voice just like disgusted him so much over the course of like 45 minutes or an hour that they just got up and like kicked their TV in half. Uh, <laughs> fucking. And this is one of those movies where I was like, yeah, if I was really hung over and somehow too lazy to change the channel, I would probably kick my TV in half. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to agree with y'all and say, uh, this movie rocks 10 out of 10. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite movies that I've seen this year so far. Um, easily the best movie or top five that we've covered on this podcast. Um, Paul Schrader, great writer, great director. He knows New York. He knows Cleveland uh, as an extension of knowing New York. And uh, I think it really shows in this, uh, I'll say it, masterpiece. Mm. Okay. Fair, very fair point. Uh yeah. I don't know. It, it felt like it wanted to make some sort of artistic statement that I feel like it, it didn't really make. Um, yeah, it's really obvious that Paul Schrader has like a lot of ideas uh, and that he doesn't really know how to connect or make them like coherent together. Um, he yeah. just kind of wanted to trick people into thinking this was a good movie because uh willem dafoe was like shouting the n-word a bunch and you know what i will say as well uh we should actually listen to the man paul schrader himself who said of this movie i've made some important films dog eat dog is not one of them oh well, hell yeah paul thank you yeah thanks <laughs> yeah he literally said that <laughs> um dog eat uh, dog shit yeah seriously yeah. but yeah so oh, it's uh God. i don't know i feel like this could have been a good movie uh, but instead, we mostly got like a violent fever dream with some cool visuals sometimes. It yeah, and like Nicolas Cage, it was like <laughs> Nicolas Cage was like, hey, Willem Dafoe, remember fucking Wild at Heart? What if we kind of did that again, but not at all? Yeah. <laughs> that would be cool. We still haven't watched that for the show. I'm excited for it. Yeah. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. Per oh, you're it. well, let me tell you, it's uh, it's a little bit better than uh, Dog Eat Dog. Just okay. A little, okay, good. I certainly <laughs> hope so. Yeah, yeah. Me too. Well, it is David Lynch, so. so. And, uh, you know what I will say too is, uh, like, I honestly thought we were done with the really bad movies, but we still have more really bad movies. Yeah, are you guys all like in therapy or like you're know, just like surrounded by loved ones or anything? <laughs> like, what's your mental state for fucking? This, this is my therapy. Oh, yeah, God. this is my therapy too. Honestly, this is where um, we get it out. And, and I will say, Alex, trauma. if you think this is bad, you you really haven't seen some of the real stinkers we've watched for this fucking show. Well, yeah, don't ask out. me back on. Please don't. <laughs> yeah, uh, have a watch 211 or USS Indianapolis Men of Check Courage. Check out Paul Schrader's other uh, attempts uh, at directing in Dying of the Light. Yes. And once again, a movie so bad that he also disowned it, just like he disowned this movie. <laughs> How does he keep on directing these? Like he was a decent screenwriter, so he knows what 
a good script looks like and he knows what a good movie looks like. He just just hitting a wall. Yeah, he, he, he yeah. keeps directing. He keeps directing movies with Nick Cage that he regrets making. Yeah. And it keeps happening to him. It sounds like Nick Cage is just talking him into it. Yeah. <laughs> and then talking Willem Dafoe into it by literally bribing him. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, do, you, do you guys have anything else to throw in on it or should we have Dave do his plot summary? What? I think I'm done personally. Yeah, great movie. <laughs> um, Dave. Good movie, backed hard. What? <laughs> Dave, you got a little plot summary for us? Hmm? Ah, fuck. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that almost got me. That almost yeah. got me. Uh... <laughs> I know this song and dance. We do this all the time, man. But, like, I just need you to do this, okay? Come on. Come on, please. Just, gi just give it to me. My eyes become uh, was that it? Uh, you know, it's funny. These people, they go to sleep. They think everything's fine, everything's good. They wake up the next day and they're on fire. Didn't you mention Uh... <laughs> I assume. Uh, waking up the next day and everything's on fire is probably how Willem Dafoe's girlfriend felt uh, in that scene, um, because maybe she went to bed and everything was fine, and then the next day, y'all heard. There were certainly some fires to put out. I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Well, you know, he didn't like you know harm her brain at all, so it's possible that she had ten minutes of brain life left after she died, and like on like some like waking life shit. Like you know, her brain was active after like you know her she died, so she could have been on fire for ten minutes of brain time, dream time. Mm, that could yeah. be a, a potential sequel to this movie. Uh, just her entire 10-minute uh, uh, death sequence stretched out into a 90-minute hallucination. Yeah. I think what we need is a prequel on, like, FX or AMC or maybe the Hallmark Channel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And just watch it. will go for, like, eight seasons. <laughs> I want to see a Hallmark movie sequel of this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I want to see a lifetime original prequel to this movie. That's what I want to fucking see. Well, it could be about the mom and the daughter. Yeah. <laughs> and they like get yeah. them, they like get sex trafficked or something. I don't know. Well, That's uh, lifetime shit. with that, then, uh, Mike, do you want to do the Amazon reviews? Yeah, I got some Amazon reviews for you, dumb bitches and yeah. fuckers. Hell yeah. Uh, so let's do the damn thing. Let's do the goddamn thing. Let's do it. Um, I have a review from Sam Leon who says, uh, sucks. Five stars. <laughs> <laughs> Did you write that? <laughs> that used to be your you MO on Letterboxd. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's pretty much how I felt about this. Uh, I have a review from Chris who writes, dog eat dog DVD. She happy with it. <laughs> Five stars. <laughs> is he? <laughs> Who is she? No, but she happy with it. Yeah. Uh, I have a review from Having Fun who writes, "Lame, didn't finish it." Well, you know he is the expert on having fun, so we should listen to what he said. Yeah. Uh, I have a review from Irene who says, "Not a best one." Uh, and Irene writes, "My husband watch it." I just look at it 15 minutes, can't believe it. 
Great star playing this movie. Wasted money. Thank you, Irene. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm glad that she signs it. Uh, I have a review from Movie Fan who says... <laughs> All these fucking usernames are great. <laughs> ordered it to watch with my 25-plus-year-old son. <laughs> After the first 10 to 12 minutes, he and I both didn't want to continue watching the movie. We both found it a bit weird. One star. You know, I will say I love the 25-plus-year-old, so it could be anywhere between 26 to, like, 99. Like, how old is this? <laughs> movie fan is sure of how old her child is. It was my son, my 25-year-old son, Nestor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, shit. Uh, I have a review from Happy Camper uh, who writes My 25 year old son put my wife and me in front of the TV and put this on. What is the matter with 25 year old men? Yeah. Yes. Is this the same 25 year old? I need an Instagram infographic on 25 plus year old men right now. Was was the first review from a stepmom and was this one from his biological mom or vice versa? Like Yeah, they have, they have two accounts. Uh, and they go on to write, now what the hell was that? The dirtiest slime ball, low life, bloody, gory, asinine movie of all time. Pass the butter, please. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Were they watching this at dinner? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> One star. <laughs> I have a review from Mark A. Kanopka, who writes, If it were rated, warning, this review is written for parents as a guide. Since this movie is unrated, I'd like to fill in the blanks here. This movie is not, repeat, not for children. Because, uh, you know, when you see a movie that's unrated, you're like, oh, does that mean, like, it's tamer than G? Uh, yeah. Does that mean for all, all ages? Like, <laughs> this is strictly an adult-oriented, diehard gangster film. Or if fetuses. <laughs> If it were to have a rating with reasons, it would be something similar to this. Rated R for strong graphic bloody violence, pervasive strong language, sexual content and nudity, and drug use. One star. Okay. Okay, fair enough, I guess. Um, uh, our next review comes from somebody uh, who is in the movie, uh, user Mad Dog. <laughs> oh, no way, really? <laughs> um, and I'm going to have to ask you to uh, strap in for this one because it's uh, a bit winded. Uh, Mad Dog writes, dog eat shit. <laughs> if anyone bothers to educate themselves with reading my other highly intelligent reviews, you will know that I absolutely adore Nick Cage. Um, so Mad Dog is pretty smart. Yeah. Uh, there you go, you see. Opinion. I can even call him Nick just now. We are that close. I've said many times and stick to my opinion that Mr. Cage is a proper actor, one of the best around today. He has a massive body of work ranging from blockbuster action epics like The Rock to indie films such as Red Rock West and small independent movies, Left Behind, Pay the Ghost, and The Trust. <laughs> 
all decent performances with Cage on solid form every time, uh, which is not true for most of those last few. Uh, <laughs> but enough about me declaring my love for Cage now as I have a lazy lob and on with the rest of my review of Dog Eat Dog. I was really looking forward to this film in the same way I look forward to a supermarket-owned brand pizza. They are nice, cheap, and look mouthwateringly delicious. They are described as authentic Italian wood fire oven baked classics, just like mama used to make. Hang on a minute. They are in a freezer in a supermarket, then will eventually be chucked in my electric oven without any wood or fire in sight. How did I miss that? Matt Brunick is pissed. (laughs) Oh, I know he's happy. But when you have saved yourself a quid instead of buying a decent, well-known brand, all you get is a thin, poorly topped, tasteless load of crap. It's the same with Dog Eat Dog, I'm afraid to say. The only good thing about this awful film is Nick Cage. And before you bloody say it, no, I'm not being biased. The film is like that nasty pizza and Nick Cage is like the chili peppers on top. The only ingredient of note. Um, I would like to make a review of your review real quick. Well, a review of your read of this review. As soon as he said quid, we should have switched to a bloody English accent. That's true. <laughs> All right. I'm just going to say it. Anyway, carry on. Uh, the film is described as a mix of Tarantino and Richie, which is always going to be a bad thing. One, Guy Ritchie has only made two decent films, Lock, Stock and Snatch. And two, Tarantino is getting tiresome, in my opinion, also has only two films worth watching. Do you want to guess which two Tarantino movies uh, this guy likes? I'm going to guess uh, what was like Jackie Brown was one of the. Was that the Tarantino movie? Or? Oh no, this guy. Uh, this guy's smart, but he's not that smart. Oh. Okay, I'm gonna say that and um, Kill Bill Volume Two only. <laughs> Reservoir Dogs uh, and Pulp Fiction. I'm gonna just go with the classics. I'm going Reservoir Dogs, and then I'm just gonna like lob it out to uh, Inglorious Bastards. Mm. Uh, Pulp Fiction and Django. Django. Uh, okay. No Inglorious Bastards, uh, which is an oversight. Anyway, so in describing Dog Eat Dog, the way it is on the Blu-ray sleeve just spells out a uh, past it load of crap that thinks it's cool and hip. I don't know what that means. Pastiche? Um, uh, Maybe that's what they were trying to say. Uh, but it auto-corrected. I have no idea. Um, but as Ice-T says in Body Count, the <laughs> real problem is the director, uh, Paul Schrader, who appears to still be hanging on by the fact that he made Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Both masterpieces, I know, but Schrader needs to stop thinking he is relevant today because he's bloody not. <laughs> the other recent film he made with Cage, Dying of the Light, which slipped through the net, is a far better film than Doggy dog and uh i'm gonna say that's wrong Uh, i'm gonna say that's wrong too (laughs) i'm also gonna say wrong but yeah (laughs) i'll agree with you guys listen this is a really long review and um i just wanted to highlight the fact that this guy was super smart um And I'm pretty bored with the review now, so we're going to leave it at two stars. <laughs> two stars from a right yeah. twat. Yeah. I, I think that is the first review Mike could not finish, and that that's that's a lot. <laughs> yeah, this – uh, Okay, I have one last review uh, from Brig Jen Floyd E. Hickey. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, who writes, hint, let your dog bury it in the backyard. Oh. One star. Wait, Brig Gen, like Brigadier General? Yes. Hell yeah. Uh, okay, I think that kind of sums it up. Yeah. I would. Yeah. Uh, um, not a bad idea of, of what to do with this film, but. Yeah. <laughs> Well, with those enlightened Amazon patriots uh, out of the way, I think all that's left for us to do now is the vote. Off one. And uh, it probably is already obvious to everyone what we're all going to vote for. But um, just for consistency, we we have to do this. Uh, Alex, generally, Dave gives us a countdown. Um, Yes, generally. Generally. And then um, <laughs> then uh, we all shout out the one that we want to win at the same time. And then we oh, have to figure out what we all said or what? Yeah. And it's always very awkward because you have to say which one we wanted like 15 times before we hear it all. Yes. <laughs> all, right. all right. So with that, Dave, what can we get a countdown? Please, please. I already did this with the plot summary. Please. Oh, please, Sensei Dave, give us a countdown. No. Oh. (laughs) Wait. One. Two. Three. Uh, Doggy dog. Fuck. Bring out the dead. Bringing dead out. (laughs) Wait, I said the wrong one. uh, Bringing out the, the doggy dog. Um, wait, oh. no. Bring doggy out the dog doggy wins. dog. <laughs> yeah, doggy, doggy dog. dog. But yes, uh, wow, wow, wow. Yippee, yo, yippee, But by unanimous vote, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it. Um, well, I mean, this is a, a good Scorsese movie, and it went against something that we were all <laughs> deeply confused and annoyed by. So yeah, um, I love how we we picked a very good Scorsese movie and a bad guy who wrote Taxi Driver. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing that the guy who wrote Taxi Driver did this bad of a job. I don't know, and he and, and, so, and also frankly did that bad of a job on Dying of the Light too. Like he's a he seems like a bad director. Yeah. I think directing's not a strong suit. You should probably stick to writing. I um, agree. He seems to be pretty good at that. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely hit more than he's missed with uh, directing. Yeah. He should also not act either because he's a bad actor in this movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he definitely should have got uh, Tarantino lick at some toes in there. For yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess with that, then uh, it's settled uh, bringing out the dead. For obvious reasons, moving on to the next round, where we haven't determined what it will be going up against yet. But, um, yeah, and uh, join us uh, next time when we'll be talking about... uh, Mom and Dad and National Treasure Book of Secrets. Holy shit. That'll be a fun one. Hey, this is me in post. That was wrong. We're actually doing Valley Girl and Inconceivable, which will also be a fun one. Check that out. (laughs) Now with that, we still have the ranking. That's true. So what we do is we go through all the eliminated movies uh, and take the newly eliminated movie, start at the bottom of the list and start voting whether it's better or worse than each of these movies. And then gradually we'll get to the point where two of us vote worse and one of us votes better and we'll find its proper spot in the list. So. And for this one, I think we definitely have to start at the bottom. (laughs) Um, So. Dog eat dog. Is it better or worse than 211? Better. 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 Uh, the runner. 
Better. 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 Christmas Carol the movie. Better. 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 USS Indianapolis Men of Courage. Better. Better. Outcast. Better. 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 Rage. Better. Better. Zandali. Better. 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 Uh, Dying of the Light. Better. 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 Same guy, though. Uh, The Ant Bully. Better. Better. I'm going to say worse, to be honest. Damn. Left That's behind. insane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, left Behind. Better. Oh, better. For sure worse. Oh, come on. No, uh, I loved Left Behind way more than this fucking movie. <laughs> I laughed way harder. Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Better. better. I'll say it's better. Uh, Sunny. Better. better. Arsenal. Better. Better. Humanity Bureau. Better. 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 Army of One. Better. 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 Sorcerer's Apprentice. Better. 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 World Trade Center. Better. 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 Joe? Worse. I'm going to say better. I'm going to say better, too. Joe was kind of boring. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's not good. Uh, Guarding Tess. Worse. Better. Better. Really? Fuck. Okay. Pay the Ghost. (laughs) Better. Better. Yeah, it's better than Pay the Ghost. Uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. Worse. Uh, Better. Better. Uh, Bangkok Dangerous. Better. Better. Better, but just barely. (laughs) Firebirds. Worse. Better. I'm going to say it's better. Damn. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Birdie. Worse. Better. Worse. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, there's no way. I love Birdie. This movie sucks. (laughs) You love Birdie and yet you voted against it. (laughs) Yeah, because I want to piss you off. That's why. (laughs) Well, Dog Eat Dog now ranks 14th Uh, out of 30. Birdie, more like Turdy. So, can't wait till uh, we get some more things in this bracket to uh, push that further down than number 14 (laughs) but um yeah that's the final ranking there uh before we go alex is there anything that you want to plug i know you did a bunch of plugging at the start but well you know i mean it's like what a two-hour episode might as well refresh people um (laughs) we are now longer than well we're not longer than actually well we are longer than bringing out the dead but we're not longer than bringing out the dead and fucking uh, got dog eat dog shit combined. But uh, yeah, find me on Twitter at the Tower Skin, um, Instagram Tower Skin Worldwide. I have a uh, right now five episode series on home fitness for pieces of shitness uh, called uh, fucking um, Worldwide Workouts at Bug TV Plus. That's right, streaming service Bug TV Plus. Uh, Home of the Bugmane and so much more. Um, Shit, Bugmane who said no to being on this podcast. <laughs> oh, he says no to a lot of podcasts, mine included, which I'll plug here in a minute. Uh, fucking <laughs> shouts out to the Bugmane. No, I'm looking at my bug pillow. I'm waiting for my Coco Pelli ones to come in the mail because I've spent buzz, like buzz, a... motherfucker. <laughs> but yeah, uh, fucking use promo code worldwide and you can get a one month free trial to uh, Bug TV Plus. See what all the hubbub's about. Uh, fucking. Board to Life podcast, uh, Cleveland Podcore Worldwide. Me and my buddy Michael Strank, we used to be in a hardcore band together. Uh, now we uh, examine all sorts of shit and just bullshit with Cleveland area musicians and freaks. Uh, we've uh, we did a watch along of Hubie Halloween with my friend Dr. Tim Bones Jones, who holds uh, 
doctorates in passion, desire, and made a hell of a zine about the Sandman. That's right, Adam Sandler. Um, hell yeah. Are there any uh, Adam Sandler fucking Nicolas Cage movies? No, unfortunately. There should be. There yes. should be. We like, were talking about doing an Adam Sandler bracket because he has roughly 32 movies. Well, you would have to get my buddy Dr. Tim Bones Jones on for that. The kid's a maniac. Uh, fucking, and yeah, like I mentioned earlier, uh, we've had him on for... Uh, Fucking, we did a Wizards watch along, which got pulled off of YouTube, even though Wizards is on YouTube, which is bullshit. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's like, so fucking I fucking weird. did it. Uh, we also did <laughs> NYHC, the uh, fucking hardcore documentary. That's on my YouTube page. I'm not going to plug that because it's pathetically small numbers. I don't understand the algorithm. I mean, it's not me. It's them. Fuck them. Mm-hmm. I agree. But yeah, yeah uh, fuck them. Yeah, board number two life podcast, and I think that's everything. Yeah, just about uh cash app dollar sign tower skin. I'm gonna run out of fucking PUA sooner or later, and I don't know how I'm ever going to work again because I've become feral. <laughs> but yeah, uh that's about it. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely Thanks so much for great, coming. Man. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And yeah. uh, of course, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Cage Fight Pod. Uh, if you're feeling generous, give us a little something on Patreon at Cage Fight Podcast on there. Uh, we'll be releasing some bonus episodes uh, probably while this episode's out. There'll be out there uh, available to patrons only. The Godzilla versus Kong bracket. Yeah. What and, is the uh, bracket? What? Well, I, I guess we're doing I gotta the, get on the Patreon yep. to find out. But we, We've got, what, four uh, Kong movies and four Godzilla movies that are going... Uh, Head to head. head. Um, yes. Do you want to? Do you want to pop off that bracket quick for people who might be uh, interested in checking out the Patreon? Oh, for sure. First matchup is the 1954 Godzilla versus the 1976 King Kong movie. Then we've got Return of Godzilla from 1984 versus King Kung Fu from 1976. Also, fun ass movie, I will say. I haven't seen it. Taylor suggested that one. And then we've got the 1933 King Kong movie going against the 1998 Godzilla movie, the one that stars Matthew Broderick. And uh, finally, we got Shin Godzilla versus the Peter Jackson King Kong. Hell yeah. So check it out. Give us your money and we'll give you that content, baby. Yeah. Woo. I think uh, that pretty much wraps it up for all of us here. Dave so graciously uh, wanted me to plug my Twitter, uh, Darth Mike D, one word. Um, I uh, have a lightsaber. Thanks, Dave. Oh, Dave, did you have anything to plug? <laughs> um, so, like a month ago, um, I'm about to put out an album officially. It's got Ooh, features from... It's called Harvey. There's a cam- There are two cameos from Arlo Steele of the band National Pleasure, who sings our theme song. Purvis Rumproast plays a ton of bass on it, and John Kitt's Fist Cannon of the same band is also the drummer on the vast majority of it. It's going to be on Bandcamp. Um, so look, look for it, I guess. What's your, what's your Bandcamp URL? Uh, I fucking forget. No, um, it's David W. Robinson at gmail.com. Now feel free to dox me with that information. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Send Dave some emails. Oh, yeah. Put wait. some money in there. 
Dave just reminded me. Thank you, Dave. Uh, I have two more plugs. Um, I have a band that's like semi currently still going called Rat Fucker. Uh, oh, hell yeah. hell yes. And that's uh, ratfucker.bandcamp.com. I uh, bleed almost every show. Uh, we got songs about cocaine, communism, destroying shit, uh, Fist of the North Star, uh, Cleveland, etc. Um, that's great. Hell and yeah. then uh, Hell also yes. Basement Boys, uh, that's my oi band. We've played Milwaukee before. I uh, played them one time on St. Patrick's Day where I came up with the best line of all time. I said to a room half full of skinheads, yeah, guys, great to be here. St. Patrick's Day. I'm the 16th Irish. It's all in my dick. Um, <laughs> guys in chap hats were sad. It was beautiful. Um, but yeah, that's oi. Uh, we were irony skinheads. Sharps, uh, skinheads against uh, R-word people because racism, homophobia, and sexism are all fucking R-worded. Uh, you know, we retired that one. Oh, yeah. It's a new age. Uh, fucking, but yeah, that's uh, basementboysclevo.bandcamp.com. Check that shit out. I don't think I get any money from that one because I never linked my PayPal, but you can buy a uh, rap fucker and I can even send you a tape or a sticker maybe. So holler at us. Oh shit! Yeah, Hell dude, yes. awesome! Right on, beautiful. Oh yeah, uh, check out Harvey by Dave. Check out Ratfucker and uh, the Basement Boys, and uh, check check out our bracket. There's a lot of things here to check out, everybody. Um, yeah, so fucking do it, you piece of shit. Sit down, do it all right now. Yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah! Just go through it. And uh, with that, I think uh, we've covered everything. And uh, Join us next time. Yeah. Till next time. <laughs>